Hey everyone, Tom here, back with a quick announcement before another of these compilation episodes. These are really fun to put together and listen back, so hopefully you're enjoying doing the same thing. If you're unfamiliar with the format, basically what I'm doing is whenever I've completed an album, I mean I'm getting to the point in the show now where I'm going to be completing albums every week, every two weeks, you know, for the next final two months or so. So I'll maybe hang on to some of them and not overload it, but at the moment the novelty hasn't worn off. So uh, we did the Ride the Lightning one before, and today we're doing Death Magnetic, so I'm just going back, finding all the ten songs that we've picked, putting them in album order, uh, providing a clip of the song itself prior to us just chatting about the Dragon's Out. So it's not the whole episode, as it were. I just gut out kind of from, like, so getting onto the song, and then normally, like, when I do the Twitter stuff or ask any final thoughts or stuff like that, and sometimes I let it hang longer, um, but, you know, most of the time these have been pretty... It's a pretty lengthy episode altogether, uh, obviously longer than Ride the Lightning because of the songs and just seem to go longer on, on certain ones and shorter on others but you know that's always the guess that's always the episode all of these were awesome and uh, I want to give some shout outs and then we'll get into the episode itself uh, first one of course is episode 138 this is That Was Just Your Life with Matt Lietzow or Lietzo <laughs> uh, the end of the line the second track of Death Magnetic was episode 43 for us that was with Dan Moyle Logan Novak came on who was a really early supporter of the show really appreciate Logan uh, this is episode 20 for the third song, Broken, Beaten, Scarred. Data Never Comes with Nick. Uh, Nick, I think at the same time we did that episode, we also recorded the review of Mission to Lars. If anyone's aware of that really interesting documentary about a filmmaker's brother who has learning difficulties and a huge affection for Lars, they go on this road trip and there's loads of kind of behind the scenes, uh, you know, death, death magnetic touring stuff, actually. It's very apt to this. And uh, does he meet Lars? You know, I mean, the trailer kind of gives it away, but uh, definitely check that out and check out our review as well. Song five is Cyanide. That was episode 30 of Emil Wickman. Uh, Unforgiven Free, our most recent episode with Adil Ahmed. That was 150. Judas Kiss next up now will be episode 175. That's with Mark. And My Apocalypse finally closing us out. Uh, this episode 98 with Chaosware. Chaosware, who... French virtuoso guitar player that I've had on a few times. Uh, he was actually on the last Ride the Lightning episode. And, uh, yeah, he um, covered the Alphatelica theme tune, which is so fucking cool. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling. Uh, we are followable on many, many platforms, as you're aware, at MetallicaPod, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show, you want to discuss, well, as I say, the songs are kind of all gone now, but if there's anything Metallica-based you want to get into, like, throw some stuff at me. Like, I'm happy to, you know, people have got in touch with me, like, oh, what about this show? I'm like, did that show? Like, the Download Secret show, for example, uh, that was a really fun episode, like, 2003. I think that was um, Rob's debut on European soil, amongst other things. Lots of songs on there from that anger period. But today... We're talking about Death Magnetic. Yeah, let's get into that was just your life. going through then so it sounds like we're kind of about the same age and like I was getting to the band about the same time as well and Death Magnetic was my first proper you know the my Metallica album like the new Metallica that I you know I was hearing along with everyone else mm-hmm. wasn't playing catch-up so what was that feeling for you the build-up to the record was that an exciting thing were you kind of aware on the back burner or like yeah like you said yeah that was the same first release for me mm-hmm. so it was following Mission Metallica watching them come out with a new video each yeah. day and just trying to get as many snippets as you can. 
But then also being in the same boat of once the record came out, oh, hey, everything that they did for Mission Metallica, a lot of that wasn't used on the record. Yeah. But yeah. but it was just so cool to see that process and be really pumped for, hey, awesome, there's a new record coming. This will be the first real experience. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned LimeWire, actually, because I do remember at the time downloading, like, Death Magnetic Leak demos or something, and it had loads of riffs on it. I don't know if it was even legit. It might have just been some dude. Like, he didn't have any vocals <laughs> on it. None of the riffs I reckon. They're kind of Metallica-esque, but, you know, all riffs are kind of Metallica-esque to a great extent. But, but, but yeah. yeah, you're right. I remember as well. I don't remember exactly, like, I wasn't, like, buying it the day it came out, but I'm pretty sure around that time I remember getting it and then, you know, in- engaging with it. And, of course, the first thing we damn hear is, is that was just your life and i mean we'll jump into the song now <laughs> what a welcome back what an entry track right i mean this is something that people really regard highly like a lot of the comments are going to get to the end of the episode people are saying this is one of the best things done in 20 years like th- this is basically the gap from black album like it's kind of a dark hole and then we emerge with death magnetic right absolutely for that to be the introduction and for it to start so differently with the just slow build-up intro of the heartbeat and mm-hmm getting the first real taste of Rob with his bass line in the intro. Yep. Like it was just a good setup to start the song. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, the heartbeat intro works really well. You know, it is kind of a little bit cliche. Like a lot of songs start with that kind of For idea, sure. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it works in the whole, you know, that was just your life idea and um, the corporeal. So we have the heartbeat. We have the, the ominous riff coming in that classic riff and then kind of, Kirk's guitar, the background second guitar, sounds very ominous, doesn't it? Sounds like hollow bell chimes or something. Like it, it works well. It does. The way how it builds and with James and Kirk playing off of each other throughout mm-hmm. the whole song. Oh yeah. It is their tone their tones are recognizable to distinct like make a distinction between the two. And yeah, it is. It's got a very eerie dark feeling to it like you said mm-hmm. and you know as it builds as all metallica songs do you know uh it starts to weaponize the riff develops a bit more what what at first were kind of ambient like kind of quite sonorous sounds from kirk become the new 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 you know everything's clattering down like this is the metallica we love but what i like is it's quite well balanced sonically. You mentioned uh, Rob's bass before, which you can totally hear kind of slivering around. And, it, and it's nice they put that in there and Lars's drums mm. as well. But as we're building towards that main riff, everything's pulling out. You, you can still hear, if you do listen, you can still hear the heartbeat. You can still hear that clean arpeggio. It feels very full track. It does. It's They do an excellent job for starting this album in a way where you're not going to forget it. And... It also just made for a great live opener then, too, because, again, they play so well together. It's such a well-constructed song. Just the whole, the speed of it, the frenetic pace after the slow intro. Yeah. It just works so well. Yeah, and you you know, you get a teaser just before we break off into the main riff of how metallic, how death magnetic riffs kind of work now. Uh, you know, they repeat a lot. They tease things. Yeah. Uh, they they anticipate. Um, you know that they go back where maybe like for, don't get me wrong. I love this song. I think this is definitely one of the best songs that they've done since the two thousands. No doubt since the nineties. One of the highlights of Death Magnetic, which is an incredible record. I do think you could maybe have cut thirty seconds off this track in certain places. There's just certain returns to riffs that slightly stymie the momentum for me personally. Yeah, I mean, that's understandable. They do that with a lot of, it seems like, the tracks on Death Magnetic. And even even to some degree now, Hardwired. Yeah, a lot just, on Hardwired. Yeah. They, they kind of like to 
push the limit and make songs long, even though they'll say they don't, mm-hmm. you can hear that they do. Yeah, yeah. It's just it it does feel a little unnecessarily indulgent, really. Like I, you know, songs like the Judas Kiss, for example. I think many people find it hard to argue that you again you couldn't lop a little bit off that track. And we're just trying to make them better. I think the core ingredients are fantastic. Maybe just you know a little bit too much in the broth. But we get into the main riff which is the kind of riff that James can write in his sleep. Like, James will burp, and that riff will just come out. You know what I mean? There's nothing really involved in it. But it's so successful and anthemic, and you can almost hear the sounds of millions of Metallica fans fist-pumping as this kicked in on 2008. You know, the band are back. Absolutely. It's not even... Like, when you think about it, it's not even that overly... The chugging part is very straightforward, but the... As you get into the da 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 it just it works so well. It it honestly kind of reminds me of like brings me back to like fifties music where it's kinda like that almost Motown, like you think of getting into the sixties like Beach Boys. It's got kind of like a surf vibe to me. Damn, okay, yeah, I can sort of see what you see, yeah, kind of Dick Dale-esque and kind of, yeah, resolving into those lines. It's very hardwired, feels very similar to the hardwired riff to me as well. It does. And you're right, it is anchored to that bullet spray chug of James to which the riff is built around. And, um, you know, it's irresistible. And then James comes in singing. I mean, actually, let's talk about the sound of this track, because a lot of people bring up the brashness, the brightness of Death Magnetic. And this song is certainly a victim of it. For me, personally, it, it doesn't ruin my day. You know, I'm kind of, I understand it. I know there's a guitar hero versions that are better, whatever. I'm interested in the writing, the composition of this track. And it doesn't detract. I mean, does it, does it diminish it for you, the overall impact of the song, the way it's produced? It honestly doesn't. I'm, I guess I'm not an audiophile no. like other people. I mean, I could... I have no problems with this, whereas I can see why people would. But at the same time, people had problems with St. Anger. And, you know, it just, it is what it is. Everyone's always going to have an issue with something. Yeah, I'm not really, like, you know, I remember Neil Young brought out his Pono, I think it was called. It was like his iPod, and it was like basically a sort of vinyl, MP3, lossless audio, whatever. And it's like, again, like, I'm from that LimeWire era, but to me, I don't really mind squishy MP3 sounds. Like, again, I'm just into the actual songs themselves. Like, you know, um, everyone talks about, oh, vinyl. And vinyl's great, don't go wrong, I don't own any vinyl, but... I think a film is a good film. You watch it on VHS, you watch it on Blu-ray, it's the writing, it's the performances. It it might somewhat hamper your appreciation, but it's not a different song. It's not a different screenplay, you know what I mean? It's still the same thing. So, yeah, again, there are points to this song. I think the final chorus, when the drums come in heavier, it does sound cluttered, it does sound muddy, I cannot deny that, but the the spirit of the song shines through. And, um, I mean, in the verses... James is pretty much straight up rapping. Like these are some rapid fire delivery here. It's excellent. I, it's got to be so hard for him to have done this live, and he did kind of struggle with it live because uh, mm-hmm. he would trip over the lyrics sometimes and yeah. just like replace them with other lyrics. <laughs> but but the delivery, like you said, it actually. And I'm not even a big fan of rap, but his delivery here to me is excellent. He does it so well and so smoothly in the actual track itself. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a lot of fun to listen to. It really is. And it's underscored by the fact that even though it's da 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 like he could be putting just kind of anonymous images in there. But some of the ideas are really quite odd and stick with you. Um, you know, the blind man strapped into the driver's a f- Like a face that learns to speak when all it knew was how to bite. Like, what is, what is a face like that going to say? That's a very haunted visage. 
It is. Some of it is pretty pretty disturbing. Like you said, it is kind of just like he's almost barking like this insanity out. Yeah. But it, it just it works so well. It's funny, but it works really well. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And it just adds to that manic energy as we go on. Mm-hmm. And as with so many Metallica songs, you just think to yourself, how the fuck does this guy play and sing this? Like, I don't, the body's not designed to exist on those two levels. Like, you know, certain people can tap their head and rub their belly in two places. This is beyond that. This is this is next level. And, uh, you know, like Sad But True, in a different way, because it's more of a rhythmic idea. But this is just purely technical. I don't know how he's getting onto that. And we go down into the um, pre-chorus, Blind My Eyes, forward by, like, I don't know about you, I love the guitar here. It's so groovy and gruff and confrontational. It's just so slick and enjoyable. It is. This is almost like it was a preview of what they were trying to do with Hardwired. Like mm. they were trying to find that groove, and they didn't have a ton of it on Death Magnetic. Death Magnetic is more of a punch you in the face. Yeah. But they still showed they could do it. This seemed like it was a blending of their past and also showing kind of where they were heading. Yeah, certainly. And you just so many kind of clever ideas here. Like a lot of the guitar playing in Load and Reload, they didn't really think about what was going on melodically or where the song was channeling to. And we just went from riff to chorus, whatever. But, you know, in the pre-chorus when James is saying, open up just in time to say goodbye, the song itself opens up and becomes more syncopated and breathy. And then we get into that chorus that almost like your life, almost like your end of life, like yeah, stupendous chorus. And again, I love the guitar. I love that wild rushing torrent underneath. It's just such a relentless assault isn't it like this song never puts its foot off the pedal it doesn't it keeps you energized the entire way through and just lets you know hey i'm here and get ready for the rest of this album because you're in for a ride yeah yeah and you know so much of james's vocals as well like i I like his kind of breathless rapping stuff but i also like um you know his his inflection as well like in the in the later verse when he's like disconnect somehow like he has this kind of I don't know, you know, you know the way Hetfield can embellish certain lines with quite a winning mm-hmm. uh, frontman charisma. Like he endows the song with that, despite its brutality. He does. I mean, James is always going to be known for his guitar, his riffage, all of that. But as a vocalist, he really is great at what he does. For someone who didn't really want to sing and only did it <laughs> out of necessity, it's impressive how great he's really become just the whole package as a front man yeah yeah i mean the song is crazy the song after the chorus um you know kind of returns back as well like a wound that keeps on bleeding uh uh, the raging river drowning only a drink like a poison like a swallow when i want the world to die again that way he sings that i just love always have the hair standing on the back of my neck and um Mm -hmm. we push forward beyond that into the, I guess you'd call it sort of the bridge, uh, the where the guitars are piling and piling and piling on top. What, what, what do you make of that section? It's just a really fun riff. It's yeah. it's a good it's a good segue as we start to build into the solo mm-hmm. and get to hear Kirk be unleashed. It's yeah. It's just a lot of fun. It's just a fun riff. I mean, unleashed is the perfect word because, you know, if you were to listen to this song out of context, you'd appreciate the solo. And I, I think this is a great solo. And, you know, many years ago when I started the show, I did like a top 10 favorite guitar solos. I think this is one of my sort of surprise inclusions towards the top. I've always really, even though, you know, a bad mouth later era Kirk and, you know, it's mostly trash. I'm not going to deny that. This solo works really well. But you kind of have to appreciate what's gone before, don't you? That he was chained down in the St. Anger sessions and he wasn't allowed to express himself. And this is just kind of 
pure adrenaline solo. Even, even the way it starts, it doesn't build up. It just goes straight. It's almost like he's eight bars into the solo from the start. It's just that crazy flurry of notes. And then those giant octave shifting bends. He's, it's an exhibition. It is. It was like he was trying to see basically, okay, how fast can I play? And then how much can I cram in such a short amount of time? Yeah. And then just kind of rip off from there back into the riff. But he did a good job. Like you said, it is a really excellent solo for not being anything too dynamic there's not a whole lot of movement but he just he executes it well yeah yeah i mean it has that madden flurry has those giant bends then it has kind of one of those classic kirk things where he likes to sort of crawl up the neck with some open strings it ends with like this kind of gurgling wah you know it doesn't really outstay its welcome um say like the next song end of the line has quite a long solo this is quite a brief one despite the songs comparatively being similar lengths and uh yeah it just kind of strips back uh into the verse uh which Again, Hetfield's playing with the melody here. It's got more of a leapy melody, isn't it? Uh, sort of goes up and down. Like, kind of like he's kind of playing with his own his own octave shifting to a certain extent there, which is even harder to sing over the top of. Like, he's going between registers now. Yeah, but again, he, he pulls it off so well. This is where, like, live too, especially, he did have problems with this. And this sure. is kind of like, it reminds me of, like, an Atlas Rise yeah. Where it gets it gets high in the parts, and you can see he has a harder time doing that live, but for a record, it works fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you know, we get the uh, kind of Finn Finn Lizzy harmonized of it. now, and I like how it keeps whipping up further and further, and that's got a real venom to it as well. I mean, around this section, there's around thirty seconds I would cut where it goes back to certain movements. But look, this is a this is a minor thing really and i don't think it destabilizes the integrity of the song at all the song comes back in with this chorus and it's just i mean it's just crushing isn't it like you couldn't have wished for a better track to open you know metallica's supposed comeback you couldn't have after going from something like saint anger or just dirty ugly call mm-hmm. what you will and i'm i'm not a saint anger hater i actually oh, enjoy no. saint anger yeah me too so i don't i'm on your side mm-hmm. but <laughs> But it is. It's just. It's a good preview of this is where we're going to be. This is what we are. Enjoy the rest of the record. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's it, it's a perfect taster. And you know, a lot of the riffs do feel similar throughout Death Magnetic. Death Magnetic. I've seen that as a criticism. I do completely understand that. And they come from the mm-hmm. same wellspring that a lot of the load and reload ones and stuff like that. But um, I think I think this song just just works on so many different levels. And um, there's just a real intelligence. There's a real thought process going behind the imagery, going behind the. I, I love in the chorus as well when James says, "And there it went, almost like your life, like sort of pointing off screen to kind of engaging you, like your life, you the listener, right here, right now." It's a very effective mode. It is. He he does a great job of making the listener always feel like this song could be about me. This could be like life is hard. You got to get through it. Mm-hmm. Don't let it pass you by. I mean, mm-hmm. he literally says those lyrics Yeah. at yeah. some points. I mean, he's just letting always people know, hey, enjoy the moment that you have because life is short. And despite how difficult of a track it is, it was performed a lot on the World Magnetic Tour 170 times. It was debuted in Berlin uh, September 12th, 2008, and last played November 21st, 2010 in Melbourne, Australia. I mean, I'd like to see this dusted off. Like, you know, we've had the St. Angus slot now on the Worldwide Tour, but hopefully we'll get a Death Magnetic slot in the future. And this is one of the ones I want to see nailed on that they perform nightly. That would be excellent. The Death Magnetic definitely does not get enough appreciation, no. I feel like, from the band. Um I also unfortunately don't think that was just your life will ever be brushed off again. Mm-hmm. It seems it seems like it's in the 
for album openers, Ain't My Bitch Vein, where it kind of lived on the tour right. and then died. And then okay. just died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, yeah, maybe hard, maybe Hardwired will suffer the same fate. It, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. But uh, still, it's cool that they would bring it, it out for a lot of the tracks. And, um, you know, it's on the Quebec Magnetic, and it's on when they went to Mexico and the, the Big Four DVD. And, you know, uh, it's on Guitar Hero World Tour as well. So there's lots of different versions of them playing it. But as we always do, guys, we go to you on Twitter, at Metallica Pod, your feedback on this track. And uh, people were effusive on this one. Tommy saying, this song ushered in the latest period in Metallica's career with a bang, starting with the good old thrash over quiet, gradually growing intro. I have a special place for this song. As Death Magnetic was the first new Metallica album I got after becoming a fan, we get a glorious old-school shredding thrash solo from Kirk in the midst of a long, complex song that harkens back to the days of justice. 10 out of 10. I tend to be pretty accepted with people's opinions, but anyone who dislikes this song beyond the production is just plain wrong. Dave saying colossal track, reminder at the time the old boys can still not only go, but were capable of making music that hits currently, not just classics. Ralph saying Metallica's return to Thrash was evident on this album, right from the start with this song. The listener hears a heartbeat that stops with that eerie intro riff. Soon the song bolts headlong out of the gate with that searing main riff. Then James starts spitting out those lyrics rapid fire, almost like a machine gun. The song seems to be about some tempting fate or death. Eventually we get to the treaty to the glorious return of Kirk's vicious soloing that is evident all across his album too. Such a fantastic way to kick off things. I could care less about the production loudness issues with this album Metallica was finally back to be Metallica on this LP Dr. Bass says amazing return to form just to say that the band seemed to have completely abandoned the entire album I mean to be fair they have in a certain extent but the album was only 11 years ago like you know it's not it's not in that nostalgia sphere anymore or any you know currently and maybe it will be one day so it's just the band write too many good songs unfortunately and they're a victim of that successes uh tom saying if it had been released in the 80s it would have been considered as much a classic as battery blackened etc it's that good i don't know about that personally matt what, what do you think does it stand against battery and blackened Honestly, I do. I do think it competes with them. Mm-hmm. Um, Blackened, personally, I think is the best album opener they've done. Yep. It's just that's literally the perfect song, and what a great job by Jason, mm-hmm. who didn't necessarily contribute the most. But that was just your life. It does definitely have its place. Of the recent years, it's it's by far the best album opener. The '80s, yeah, it's tougher to compare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the golden era, of course. Uh, Luke saying, big statement, this may even be my favourite Metallica song not made in the 80s. John saying, that Finn Lizzy harmony section made me almost cry with delight when I first heard it. Plus a return to standard tuning, which is glorious. Top five Metallica songs, says Josh, great opening statement for a long-awaited album. And finally, Paul saying, brilliant opener, it felt like we had our Metallica back once the song was over. So good to hear Kirk ripping solos again. Uh, Matt, any final thoughts on this tune? Uh, Just honestly, a really great song. It was something that really set death magnetic off in a great way and let you know metallica's back there was a Uh lot of people who thought this was metallica reaching trying to be in the 80s again live in the past if that was what they were doing which they denied who cares i mean they didn't they did an excellent job on the album overall so
album as a whole, Death Magnetic, it was one that just, you know, I remember, I can recall hearing it when it first came out. And I don't know about yourself, but when I first listened to it, it felt a little jumbly. It felt a little odds and ends. But the more I've listened to it, the more I appreciate its repetitions and, and, and why it's the length it is. Yeah, it's funny because when I when I listened to the first minute and a half, maybe two minutes, it's like three different songs and they can't decide where they're going. Yeah. But then over the years, I begin to I, I've gotten to love that part of it, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Tom. I, it's it's interesting. Yeah, you know, I remember I remember leaving work at lunch with some buddies that I was working with, um, and going to Best Buy to get the album. Mm. You know, I'd I'd heard it was heavy. I think I heard some clips, you know, online or whatever right. or something, and I was like, this sounds kind of cool. So after that, you know, whole load era in Saint Anger, um, it was like I was giving them, you know, just one more shot. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think I really would have actually given up on them, as I said earlier. They're my obsession band, but <laughs> but I, but I was I was really ready for something heavy from them again. And and the entire drive back to work, I, we were we were just cranking the shit out of Death Magnetic, mm-hmm. the, you know, from the opening song just being so heavy, and then it rolls right into this mm-hmm. this monster mm-hmm. at the end of the line. I just remember sitting there, you know, and, and head banging along, like I like I'd known the music in my soul, which sounds kind of <laughs> silly to say out loud, but it's no. like this feels familiar and angry and metal and oh man i so yeah while it's still while it feels jumbled at times i that opening 90 seconds was like okay they're just oh yeah this is gonna be good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah the, the the swirling resolution of the sort of it's a bit like for whom the bell tolls the intro um you know it has a sort of heavy chords and then it has that sort of melody line higher up that sort of plays the counterpoint. I love the variation at the stop and starting of the riff. And there's just variation with it. Like there's bits where the drums just, you know, are completely gone and it's just the guitar there, you know, thrashing away. And then the rhythm catches up with the song and it goes full frontal. It has a great build up, the whole thing. Yeah, I, I like, you know, you mentioned it um, being a little bit like for him, the bell tolls. Mm. I, I kind of felt like it was reminiscent of a Master of Puppets era sure. song, sure. you know, because um, it is, it has that epic. It's got the different parts to it. Um, I like how it starts off kind of driving and then gets kind of fast and then mm. it goes almost funky, mm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and then it gets then it gets slow and then it, it turns into this like this epic sounding slow something. And then all of a sudden it just goes into this sh- the shredding riff that then permeates the entire song. And I, yeah. I love that. It just it just makes me want to headbang for like yeah. Eight, eight straight minutes <laughs> yeah it's uh it's crazy that you mentioned the funky part because i would call that the pearl jam part i'm sure a lot of people have noticed i don't know if you, yeah. if you have yourself but uh why go which is off you know pearl jam's rightly celebrated 10 it will upset a lot of listeners but it's probably my favorite pearl jam album even though i know the arty ones are probably better it, it's still the best incarnation of a rocking pearl jam for me but uh, you know whatever they <laughs> they steal the riff um, I don't know if yeah. you've heard it, Dan, but it's the same riff. Is it? Okay. I yeah. hadn't heard that riff yeah. from, yeah. from... I mean, it's Dan. fine. Yeah. It's kind of... There's only so many notes, and it's kind of got a sort of predictable skeleton to it. But, yeah, you are right. It does have so many moods, so many parts. And when it gets into the verse... And I'm not saying this is derivative or it affects it, but maybe it's just me. I've listened to a bit too much Metallica. It sort of <laughs> rotted my brain. But I hear... Da, 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 similar to Creeping Death in its, uh, in its diction. Oh. Yeah, I had yeah I hadn't that hadn't really crossed my mind. I, that, that does sound a little bit like creeping death. Slightly, I mean, it's a bit of a reach, but it's yeah. kind of you know it has that sort of element to it, and it's just, there's so much energy in this song. Like I play a bit of guitar myself, but I, like I can't imagine the exertions it puts on Hetfield, especially to sing and play this. You know, it's such an onslaught. Mm. Yeah, it is, and it and it feels to me like an like an angry poem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the lyrics don't <laughs> they don't remind me necessarily of another Metallica song. This is like one of those kind of kind of unique songs from them yeah. that it's just 
an angry poem of just words. I mean, they yeah. make sense when you read them out. You know, I've looked at the lyrics a little bit and like, sure. oh, okay, and, but but yeah, it just feels like a, like a like I'm, I'm pissed off poetry, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, little haikus, um, you know, very short little things. Bleed battle scars, chemical affinity, which yeah. I sort of get, but again, you don't need to. It's the way that he sort of you know has a throatiness to it, like innocence corrode. I think he is, and Reaper especially mm-hmm. in the second verse, the way he sort of whips that out. Karma amputee as well. <laughs> um, death contagious deity. Yeah. You sort of almost don't catch these in in the torrent of the uh, riffing. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to keep up. I had to look at the lyrics, and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, of course, you never know unless you get them actually from Metallica if they're right or not. Some of those lyric sites are just not. But I, I, yeah, I like the breaker chase the ghost, the latest high to an all time low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's like, oh, are you thinking about drugs there? Do you think maybe you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you're, you're, you're struggle with that. Okay. Substance abuse. I get it. So, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I read into it what I do, but I love the, you know, twisted, jump the rail, shout at the crowd below mm-hmm. when, whenever they talk about what they do, you know, like whether it's whiplash or whether it's that, you know, jump the rail, shout at the crowd below. I feel like I'm there in the show with them. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. And another unique song, a unique thing about this song, like you mentioned the way the lyrics are projected, but also the Into the Endless Fever part, which is a good lyric in of itself, but the way it's just that really high, I think it's on the 15th fret, you know, it's high up there, and it's just, I don't, you don't really hear Metallica do much of that really, it is kind of mightily in that, you know, majorly in that low end and, you know, yeah. so effective for it. Uh, it and and just getting onto the simple power calls of the sort of new consequence machine as well, which is like, again quite Alan Moore-esque, I don't really know what that is, but, uh, you know all in all it culminates if a song's going to be called the end of the line you need to have a chorus where it's like this is the end of the line like you know it has to sort of spell that out for you and i think it's successful in that margin yeah absolutely i i, I liked when it gets into that um towards the end where he's talking about the slave becomes the master yeah. and that's like that to me speaks to this is the end of the line the slave has become the master sure 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 yeah and uh, i like that I, I like that slow bit that whole slave becomes the master <laughs> thing it reminds me a little bit of I don't know if you'd be familiar, but um, Falls in Love by Joe Jackson, who's like a sort of English singer-songwriter, mm. new wave guy. It's kind of one of his more famous. Like, anyway, if, if anyone's heard that, it's very similar to that. Like, I can't hear it. If I, again, there's a lot of plagiarism I'm accusing this song of, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, it's just, it's good stuff. Like, you know, I'm not mocking it for it, but, you know, every, there's only 12 notes. There's going to there's be some bleed over. <laughs> I, 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 I do really like that section. I don't necessarily like... And I know it's a cliche of Alpha Metallica, like, ha ha, I don't like load reload, but ha ha, Kirk Solo, I, I kind of love it, but hate it. I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. Is that about the four minute mark or so? I like yeah. when it, it gets to that staccato rhythm bass drums going under, and then there's like a, a dual lead guitar going on there almost. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like two to me. And then, and then it, about 30 seconds later it's like a whole different solo for kirk mm-hmm. so yeah I don't, I don't know i was listening to that this week kind of getting ready for this and i'm thinking i, I kind of like it but it almost sounds like like two different solos you know like i don't know he, he just can't decide so let's just throw them both in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah but yeah. i but i do but i do like the the staccato rhythm of it though uh in the in the the rhythm guitar going on the, how the bass and drums go together under his his lead Mm-hmm. I do like that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean James is a master of that sort of decorating and you know making interesting curves for Kirk to work off. And um, yeah, as I say, the bass explorations of it as well in the slower parts, the octave shifts of Kirk anticipating what's yet to come. Like yeah, the sl- whole slave become master thing. Uh, that whole section has grown on me, and I love the way 
how it morphs into you know the repurposing of the hooked and the deceiver riff into the the slave becomes the master and the way it sort of you know builds on what was already there i think mm-hmm. it's so subtle such a great shift and and i like too during that part that what stood out, stood out to me was um the the baseline i like how they've they've really brought bass back to the forefront you know um and not that jason couldn't handle it but Trujillo is just amazing and they've they've let that go finally and I, and I like yeah. the bass line during that slow part. I think I think Robert's just great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Hetfield sounds so good throughout the whole of it, especially towards the end as well when he's sort of embellishing the whole end of the line. He has a few sort of off-mic, like, yeah, and, you know, sort of stuff like that. Not too Hetfieldian, but again, it's sort of a rallying call, and he's sort of existing there in the song live. And I've got a lot of love for this song. I guess, I guess a criticism, if I am to play Devil's Advocate, and I can understand it, it is quite long for what it is. Yeah, you know, I mean, do you think that that kind of speaks to the whole it's three songs at the very beginning sure, so that sure. it's so long they just kind of want to keep bringing all that back i mean but it never felt to me like it was okay get this over with i mean it's it's long but i enjoy my time within it every time i listen to it yeah yeah i agree i agree um sometimes yeah. certain episodes are a bit of a chore by the end or predictable but this one i still like because it does have this shifting pattern to it you know riffs do repeat that are introduced in minute one will return at the close of the whole song and it's anchored very well together regardless if it's slightly stealing jeff Amon from uh, pearl jam's riff still it's very very good and um got a lot of love for death magnetic as a whole really personally for me it wasn't like for yourself which i understood like you sort of brought you back into the fold for me say anger die hard it was just more of that good metallic yeah it's it, i i go back now i could listen to death magnetic and um hardwired just and only those two anymore you know if i were to go see them again uh, as much as i love the old stuff it kind of feels like they're doing the same concert right. for the last 10 years um that'd be my criticism of, of them as a band you know sure. but but i would love to go see basically just death magnetic and hardwired straight through at a show that mm-hmm. that to me would just be heavy mm-hmm. 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 but but yeah. yeah that would be awesome yeah they totally yeah. could um they totally totally could but um any closing thoughts on this song man i just think it's a great it's a great second song in this album yep, yep. where they, they just punch you with it, but then bring you back to all their other talents that they've learned over the last few albums that, you know, maybe some of the albums kind of sucked, but there are parts of them, but like, this is a mature song for them mm-hmm. that still gives a nod to their early years. broken beaten scarred which i think if you're going to sort of because obviously every metallica album is very very different and whilst it's still you know guitar bass and drums and it's kind of heavy and riff based or whatever there are certain elements that kind of pull it out and make it a bit different and i think broken beaten scarred is emblematic of kind of the almost like i don't know kind of like almost math rock like like you know how that there's lots of quick shifts and changes like even that intro like it just starts doesn't it it's not a kind of like classic kind of building thing it's like the riff's just right there in your mouth yeah and, and i i always wondered if that was like a temporary or filler intro where they were mm. kind of like okay well let's do this yeah and then we, and then we know the body so let's just go ahead and put something at the beginning to work up towards the body um and it 
even like you kind of say with with the math rock and kind of like how it kind of gradually adds um i remember for a while kind of being like all right i really need to listen to make sure that i can kind of get the timing of when this part is going to come yeah. in and when the uh, you know chug is going to be Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, the song does have that dynamism, and you know you can hear the two guitars. And I, I kind of love hate the bit in the intro when you hear that guitar chug in the background against the main riff. I, I compositionally I like it, but it's where my sound issues with Death Magnetic kind of it's got quite a kind of bright kind of I don't know. There's something about the guitar tone at times that kind of bothers me. You know, the whole loudness wars thing. I think is quite prominent in Broken Beat and Scarred. Yeah. Um... I can definitely hear it if I put all the Metallica songs on like a random mix. Mm-hmm. And so you'll get, you know, a Masters of Puppets song and then Death Magnetic song. It's very, you know, it is kind of jarring of kind of how the production goes from one to the other. Um, if I'm listening to the whole album, it's actually not that much of an issue. But I think it's just or after a couple songs, that's just kind of what your ears get used to in terms of the whole uh, the sure. whole piece. Sure, 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 definitely. But I mean, regardless, you know, I do I do really like this intro. You sort of have that classic kind of curdling, no, 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 like so, you know, slightly sort of exotic sound in there, and the song it just kind of keeps starting and stopping, doesn't it? It has a great pace. It is, it, it, and it's interesting because it's it's not a song that just comes right out of the gate. It's not like a Four Horsemen or like a Creeping Death or like an Ain't My Bitch where it's just like, okay, from second one, we're going. And it's not one of the slower epics that takes a while to build it. This does, but not in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. But by the time you kind of get to, I don't know, the 30, 40 second mark when you kind of get that first little da na na and then they kind of go from there. Oh, but I also have to say, once they get to that, that riff, right before the verse that's about i think it's almost exactly one minute in yes it is yeah the kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. that is that was i i think that was the first part that was really like okay now i'm really really excited mm, mm, yeah. on the rest of the way for this and then and i like how they actually take that riff and do it an octave lower yes. on the guitar for the uh, for the actual verse where James is singing it. Yes, yeah, I completely I completely agree. Yeah, it does take a minute to get to that riff, which you kind of it, it almost flies by. It doesn't the song doesn't feel very tedious. I I think um I remember seeing an interview years and years ago. I might say this already on the show of Tom Araya of Slayer, and they asked him what he thought of Death Magnetic, and he said it was very good, but he said it needed like half an hour cut off the album. And I can kind of see what he meant. Like, I'll get to certain points of this song that I think need to be thinned down a bit. But but regardless, yeah, I agree. I absolutely love that riff up tough. Like, it has such a kind of... Like, it's what they kind of were trying to get for on Load and Reload, that, that kind of groove rock. And I think it's yep. very, very successful. And, you know, um, I remember anyone that's you know been a kid and played guitar and tried to write riffs one of the most common tricks you can do is play something an octave higher and then bring it down an octave lower to make it seem like it's different but normally it sounds cheap but i completely agree when it goes down from the high frets to the low frets and then you have james singing over the top i mean it's irresistible that part oh yeah no and it and it's easy to to, to just listen and kind of hear okay well this sounds very reminiscent but it's almost one where I actually had because I I have the uh, the guitar tab book, but I did I had to double check to make sure that it was kind of the exact mm. piece because it, it could have just been something that's similar but sure. not exact, you know. And even on this song, this especially from that minute on was what really kept me going in terms of the Death Magnetic album. Mm. Um, do you remember the new song, aka um, Death Is Not the End? 
I, I don't actually know. Why is that? Um, in 2006, I think it was actually, I think it might have actually been on like 666 on June 6th. Right. Um, they played what they called the new song, a.k.a. Death is Not the End, and it had the intro for End of the Line, and then it had the middle part for All Nightmare Long, mm-hmm. which was kind of that. Um, but everything else was completely riffs that they ended up not using. Mm. Um, and the main riff is kind of sludgy and a little kind of stonery. But at the time, you know, when Death Magnetic came out, I've been living with that song for two years. And so I love that was that was just your life. That's a fantastic song. Oh, but yeah. then when it came when it came to the end of the line, that was really like, oh well, I'm used to this other version of what comes after the intro. Mm-hmm. And so I like end of the line now, but it was kind of that feeling of okay, as long as I can get to broken beat and scarred, then that's really you know that's really kicks off, especially for me in terms of the the whole piece in terms of all of Death Magnetic. From broken, beaten, scarred to cyanide is—it's just yeah. all great for me. Is is the strongest? Um, yeah, and so just that riff in and of itself, and mm. then making making their way to the chorus. Um, I don't know. It's 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 just really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It is really good, and I, I agree what you're saying as well. I've not thought of that those songs uh, in in order on Definitely Day, but it's it's such a sweet center. So it's Broken Beat and Scar, Day That Never Comes, All Night May Long, and Cyanide, which are incredible songs. Um, I I love My Apocalypse as well, which closes it, and that was just your life, which starts. And the rest are okay, but I think those are the six out of the ten that I really kind of rate highest. But yeah, it's a fantastic song. Uh, James sounds fantastic as well. And I mean, you know, Metallica thematically can be quite complex, but the message of this song, you know, in a good way, is quite simple, isn't it? It's kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, face up to adversity, etc. Well, he, here's something that I actually was really thinking about is if you watch one of the videos that they have on the Metallica website, which is Kirk and Lars, because, um, you know, they have Kirk and Lars on some videos and they have James and Rob on some videos, I think, mm-hmm. when they're doing the um, Day the Never Comes video and they would do two or three minutes of kind of explanation of each yeah. song. And Lars talks about, especially kind of with, with the title, but then it seems like he also is talking about just the, the song itself, that it's kind of, um, I don't know about brutal, but it, he seems like he seems to kind of get uh, the point across that it's more of like a downer song. And I always... Um, got the impression that this is kind of one of the few on Death Magnetic that is a little bit more of kind of uplifting that this is, you know, okay, show your scars, be proud of your scars, you got through something. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Unforgiven 3 might be the only one on there that is a little bit more uh, kind of positive or uplifting or redeeming, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I get. <laughs> I guess, yeah, just looking at the song titles, that was just your life, the end of the line, all nightmare long. Yeah, they don't they don't really connote joy, um, to be <laughs> honest with you. And uh, I was reading, actually, um, that apparently James and Lars argued at length about the title of the song. Uh, Lars was very adamant about it being called Broken, Beat and Scarred. Apparently, James didn't like the title. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a bad title, personally. Um, apparently, Metallica referred to the song as BBS as well. Which, um, you know, I mean, they do bells, don't they? They like their little kind of uh, abbreviations here and there. Probably probably the only part of the song that I really kind of can't get on board with. And I think we mentioned this on Twitter before, I'm not sure. The whole, what don't kill you, make you more strong. 
Yeah, and I'm sure grammatically it doesn't make... I'm sure there's a term for it, either a double negative or something yeah. like that. Um, but I think within the song, it works. I mean, obviously, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a play on, you know, what don't kill you, make you stronger. Yeah. And so, and it, and I was even looking back at uh, the lyrics for the demo, which which they titled Black Squirrel. I don't I don't know what the uh, the origin is of that. Huh. I don't know if they saw a squirrel <laughs> run across the stage or something like that. But even in terms of the... Um, the demo lyrics, they, they actually had that on there. So mm. it, it does seem like early on, because I think Lars even said that this was one of the earlier Death Magnetic songs from that they had started around 2005. That mm. seems to have been in there. Mm-hmm. So I, I almost wonder if it is one of those things where James just really liked how the whole thing kind of, um, either the cadence or just right amount of syllables, just it just all went together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, it, it irks me to a certain extent, but sometimes it doesn't bother me, and conceptually it works, I agree. I, I Personally, I don't think, what don't kill you, make you stronger, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why they couldn't have just gone with that, but look, it, it doesn't really matter, and obviously they are paraphrasing uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, um, you know, from Twilight of the Idols, who famously said, quote, that which does not kill us makes us stronger, so, you know, James is kind of getting on that, but yeah, the riff as well, the riff, because it's so groove-based, it has a lot of space. It's The lyrics are quite simple, but quite plausible. You rise, you fall, you're down, then you rise again, and then we get the refrain sort of thing. I just... I just think the whole thing works. It's like, a, you know, clockwork. It's like every piece works for the benefit of the song. Yes, yes, and... Most of the time when I listen to it, I'm actually surprised that it's about six and a half mm. uh, m- yeah. minutes long, which... I actually think of what is about the second or third shortest song yeah. on Death Magnet. It is, it is. On Yeah, so um, there's only one song that's five minutes on Death Magnet, which is my apocalypse. But yeah, it's at six minutes 25. So it's the, yeah, it's a, it's a second shortest song on the album, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it does kind of, it does, it does seem to really fly by. And it, I think one of the things that helps is, is it doesn't have even like a, a little minute, um, like a slower or quieter interlude like you might have in like a cyanide or something mm-hmm. like that. So just because each each piece is really just going, 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 going. You have the solo from Kirk, which kind of ends up being a lot of bends and more or less kind of noise after <laughs> after a little yeah. and then and then that really nice uh little breakdown from James after that. And then I think with about a minute five, a minute six, you kind of get the sense that they're really like, okay, we're getting close to the end of the song, so let's really kind of like ramp it up. And I don't know if, if it's a faster part, but it does feel like from about a minute six to the end, you know, a minute six left to the very end, mm. that they really are just like full on gallop time to, you know, yeah. time to bring it home. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the, the sort of the, the riff that had, had space in the intro kind of returns as a, as a quicker riff after that bridge. And oh, my God, I love that riff, that that riff after the second chorus that kind of brings the song into its middle section. It's so simple. Like, you know, James is just perching on that note, but it has that plosive nature, the way the band come in. I mean, Kirk's solo, like no, no disrespect to Kirk at all, but. For Hardwired and Death Magnetic, I feel like Metallica would have could have saved money and just built a soundboard of Kirk noise and just sort of just pressed it from here and there. It's like he here's his legato bit, here's his wah bit. Like the the guy just doesn't seem very inspired by what's a like brilliant like thing to solo over. Yes, well, and, and part of what I wonder, especially after seeing a lot of the videos, is I wonder if it would benefit from him having complete control over it because it, it does seem to have a certain amount of 
Lars and the producer then kind of going in and, okay, well, let's use this part of the solo and this mm. part of the solo and this part of the solo. So I, I, I'm not sure if it would be a better piece if it was, okay, Kirk, you completely own this, do what you will, and then when you get to the end or you have this amount of time, yeah. you know, go and this is yours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, think of Black Album, for example. Um, you know, pretty much every solo on there is fantastic, and all the solos and all the main singles are incredible. Like, you know, I, 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 we, I, the reason I'm harsh on Kirk really is because I know how good he is. You know, and it's kind of he's a bit on autopilot while the rest of the band are really going all out. And you know, I, I like the chorus as well. I like, I like the kind of you almost hear the the strings being you know flicked, and then it breaking your teeth, and like it's a very pummeling sort of playing on the chorus, isn't it? It's like a sledgehammer. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and and it is one of those things where even even just thinking of you know them, them doing one or two strings at a time, that still feels like it has a lot of weight behind mm, it. Mm, mm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, and um, I don't think I mean I'm no expert on metallic lyrics, not yet anyway. I don't think I've ever heard James use the word rape in a song. Actually, they cut and rape me, which which always kind of sticks to me as quite caustic. Yeah, and I, and I wonder how much of it is just okay. Well, you know, because it's right before we you know they scratch me, they scrape yeah. me, and. So- I don't know if he was just really trying to find something that kind of went along with the theme, sure. but it, it is one of those that even before when I was talking about it, feeling like a more uplifting um, song, <laughs> right. you know, show stars be proud of them. That's kind of the one, the one piece of it that makes me go, well, now I, I'm kind of not so sure <laughs> yeah. he talks about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, completely, completely. And um, yeah, I just, I, I think, I think the song's glorious, and especially when you consider sort of the context that this is the album that followed, kind of what in many eyes is a bit of a critical failure, and and you know they were getting back on the on the training, and just you know I've been listening to this song, how Defagnetics is what's that like nine years ago this album, and like I remember listening to this you know as a, as a boy uh, when it came out, and like it's one of the ones from the album that I've always treasured. Oh, absolutely, you know, and and even like going back to Load. The first three songs are good, but it, they were kind of the precursor of, okay, well, now when, when we get to Until It Sleeps, that's when, you know, kind of the real magic is. And that's almost the same kind of way with Death Magnetic, where it's like, okay, I can get through the first two songs. Um, that Was Just Your Life is good, but then once I get to Broken Beat and Scarred, I'm really into, you know, mm-hmm. the sweet spot with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I did have a question on on the name. Now, if they kept all the lyrics the same... What would you think would have been another title for it? Hmm. Yeah, maybe like Hard Life Coming, maybe something like that. Or yeah, the sh- only, the only other one that I could think of was maybe We Die Hard. We Die Hard. Yeah, I think I think We Die Hard is probably a better title as well. Um, I, I show your scars, but I mean that's a bit that's a bit like a Papa Roach song or something. I can't imagine. Metallica having, yeah. having that title. We Die Hard, actually. Yeah, yeah. And We Die Hard, it's almost like I, they must have put that on the back of T-shirts. Like, it's such a slogan, isn't it? Oh, for sure. And, and part of me almost wonders how much inspiration they got, because wasn't it for Death Magnetic where they had where James had pictures of Lane Staley up across? And so it makes me wonder how much of that might be a play on, you know, We Die Young. Yeah, I, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, that that's awesome. Yeah, I um, I remember seeing a video recently of um, Alice in Chains doing, I think it was Wood, at a festival, and James sung it with them. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it was it was him and Jerry Cantrell like doing the duet. It was it was very fucking cool. I'll I'll pop it on the um, Metallica Pop Twitter, uh, Metallica Pop Twitter as well. You can check this out. And the song, you know, 
was 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 one of their mainstays um performed live 156 times um was first performed september 12 2008 in berlin germany um, which i believe was like their massive concert where they sort of announced the album and all that sort of stuff and it was last performed september 21st 2013 uh in new york so i mean it's not one they've put on the hardwired tour but i reckon if they brought it out on the stadium on this sort of you know the indoor shows it'd be celebrated well i was i was wondering that because it does feel like now that they're really kind of building towards doing um, spit out the bone. Mm. That's that's my hope, at least. And so I was also wondering, OK, well, it seems like right now they have about three different slots that kind of rotate, you know, three or four songs. And I was wondering what the response would be if this was one of those on the uh, on the European tour. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think it would be. I think it'd be really well received. I remember um, watching. Pro- it's probably my favourite modern Metallica concert. I don't know if you've seen in two thousand and nine when they played that Coliseum in France. No, no. Is that the uh, Neem one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's. It, I, I want to urge you know you and anyone else listening check out that show. It is fucking like they open with Black and go into Creeping Death and Harvester of Sorrow, and it's just. The, the the crowd and the energy i've never seen the band like so alive like you know obviously they are a very eccentric band already very you know blood bloody band but they play this on it and it just kills it like you know they this is a song that really i think the drums especially you know it needs a lot of power oh for sure you know to be able to get boom 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 mm. boom, boom boom you know just just be able to keep up with those guitars mm-hmm. yeah I, I could definitely see how this would be one where lars really has to feel like he has to put a little bit of extra yeah. shoulder in, into the, <laughs> to make sure that the, uh, the sound gets across yeah yeah definitely and um i guess before we wrap up is there any, anything else you've you got to say about this great song uh no just well so it, if you think of metallica's overall catalog and let's, let's say if we split it into thirds you have the top third which is the stone cold classics creeping mm-hmm. death everything like that then you have the ones near the bottom that are kind of you know they're on the album never go played live and then you have the middle third which is kind of you know people like them but they don't necessarily get upset if they don't get played i would say overall i would probably put this in in the upper part of that middle third Mm. which is not a stone cold classic but definitely something that if they did play i'd be really happy to hear it play but i probably wouldn't miss it if they didn't single obviously before the the local rock stations were all pumping it you know it seemed like at least once an hour you'd hear it i was actually initially a little surprised that after i heard the whole album that that was the single Mm -hmm. the the lead off um not that it's a bad song or anything like that by any means but given that the record was supposed to sort of be their comeback, you know, return to roots kind of thing. You know, I'm a little more surprised that they didn't lead with All Nightmare Long or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think leading with All Nightmare Long would have been a bit more brazen, really, a bit more successful, because them having Day That Never Comes... Like, don't get me wrong, I like this song, but it's in that sort of unforgiven 
sanitarium mold kind of like this sort of angsty ballad ending and you know i i enjoy the track but i agree even something like my apocalypse you know what i mean it's something a bit right. more just this is what the album is because because that's what i really like about death magnetic it's kind of transplanting those 80s ideologies successfully into a kind of post say anger you know spectrum yeah absolutely absolutely what's what's interesting is you know even like down to sequencing or you know it's it's the fourth track on the album you know, just like Sanitarium was, just like Fade to Black was. Right. The intro, you know, sort of um, on on guitar, it's a very simple sort of twinkly, you know, melody here. And I get a, what I get a lot of in this song, more towards the end, is, you know, Finn Lizzy influence, um, the use of the, the dual guitars here. And I, I got to really applaud Kirk in these opening kind of melodic movements. They're simple, but they're they're, they're effective. He knows what to do in situations like this. Right, yeah, they're they're very tasteful, and I actually, um, I play guitar, and I really enjoy the intro because mm. it it's something that I like to play. I like to use a lot of those octaves, you know, and kind of the twinkly melodies, you know, and stuff like that. So I I immediately gravitated onto the intro right away. Mm. I act, I really like that, and I agree that Kirk's late leads in in the intro are very tasteful. Mm. You know, and and it it just speaks to the idea that you know less is more a lot of times. Yeah, and it, with the main riff as well that James does that kind of descending thing that you know it's quite a simple sort of up down sort of thing, but it, it serves the whole song. You know, he builds the verse around it. I, I, I like the motif. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of a criticism I have of the whole track, but it it really sticks out to me in the intro is I'm not a huge fan of the snare in this song. Mm. Even for a Lar- even for Lars Ulrich, the track is a little snare happy, if right. you know what I mean. Okay. And and it in that intro it's the snare sort of slaps you in the ear, I feel like. Mm. And kind of distracts you from what's going on. That's sort of a feeling that I have about the whole track in general. I don't know what you feel about the lyrics um, in the sort of main verses. Some of the lyrics I quite like. I think they're quite powerful. Some of the lines I think are a little bit faux for me. Mouth so full of lies, always a bit leaden, personally. Right. Um, the lyric is, yeah, like you said, it's it's a little uh, transparent at times, mm. but... It it works because I think it opens up the song to really um, interesting interpretations. You know, you have the video, for example, for the song, which sort of has, I don't know if you watched it beforehand yeah. or remember it, but it sort of has that war motif and, you know, things like that. And then in interviews, you've heard mentioned that it's a song that sort of reflects like a father-son relationship. Mm. Or, um, like, I, I read Lars one time commented that it's sort of a song that touches on feelings of, you know, resentment and things like that. And whereas, like, when I heard it, the first thing that I sort of grabbed onto and what I kind of initially think of right away when I hear it is sort of that, um, the, the song about, like, a, a poor relationship, you know, some sort of like domestic issue between a like a battered woman type thing Hmm. you know um 
and her sort of waiting for the day to escape that situation and things like that. So the lyric works on different levels, which is nice. You know, and I think being that it was the lead single, you know, so that was the general public's first taste of the record. In that way, that was, I think that was a smart move. Hmm. You know, because you had different people from all sorts of different backgrounds that could grab onto the song in a different way. And for me, I mean, you know, the song does have disputed origins. Um, I understand that. But I think James summed it up best. There's a there's a quote from him basically saying, uh, The day that never comes starts off as a ballad, then becomes five minutes of insanity. It's kind of like one. And that is what I personally love the most about this song, is when it kind of pulls the shackles of, and it just becomes mostly instrumental with those very heavy, like, descending twin guitars and just the sort of shifting chord patterns it's frenetic i i love it absolutely and that's that's also for me the real shining moment of the song where it, the pedal just hits the floor you know mm. um and it 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 has that real like like you mentioned like when it has the real frenetic climax and then it just sort of ends on that it never comes back around to the to the simpler melody or anything like that and that's a nice touch yeah kirk solo that you know is is about what what, what's your feelings on on kirk as a whole nick are you you like a big fan of this guy or well i i have always been a fan of kirk obviously Mm. um i think in the last couple albums i think his playing has suffered um you know and i i think part of that obviously comes from you know being a family man now and mm. you know metallica is so much more now than just playing guitar for and you know for him or really any of the members it's so much more than just their instrument now uh, i think one of the things that i miss the most about kirk when you want to talk about like his playing now or how he is now versus back in the day is his tone has changed so much and it's become a lot rounder. And I think you can sort of trace that back to like load and reload when you had Kirk doing more of the rhythm sections and things like that in the studio. So they had to sort of round his tone out so that it fit with James's better. And I think that that same idea has sort of carried, but I really miss that sharp, biting tone that Kirk's leads had on, you know, Master of Puppets and even mm-hmm. the Black album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they're a little more easy on the ear these times, and they kind of center around kind of familiar-esque patterns that you kind of give him as a kind of, you know, you don't mind because it's Kirk sort of thing. But yeah, it's not like, you know, electrifying. What What is electrifying is those main dual riffs. And what I love is, a very simple move is, they repeat the riff on each E string, so the bottom E string, then the top E string. Like it's a very almost playground trick on guitar, but it works here quite well. You know, that's pretty indicative of James's style. I, mm. I think it's, I think it's a, um, a technique that that he's really mastered. And I think, I don't think you could find a player, you know, that has sort of mastered that idea better over the years. You know, it's. James is often regarded as one of the best and sometimes the best rhythm player in metal. Yep. And I think, you know, that's just 
that pattern just shows why. You know, because I always, I always listen to stuff like that, and I know if myself, I can't sing and play at the same time to save my life. You know, but he's got to, he's got to sing while he plays it. He's got to keep the, the crowd amped up. I, I really enjoy that. You know, and that's, I think that's my favorite part of the, the song actually is right when that heavy riff comes in, you know, and, and it repeats and it's just got that, that little bit of a bounce to it, but it's still really heavy. And it, I, I feel like it has sort of a foreboding factor. It, it, it sort of lifts up the flag and lets you know that that frenetic pace is coming. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. Some, there's some foreshadowing to it. Yeah, yeah, the the open assaults of the E as well, the kind of almost droney at places, and it gives way to this kind of you know far more florid kind of guitar theatrics. It, it it's a great display from them really to kind of counteract any sort of critiquers or haters and just to sort of show what they could do and still create quite imaginative. Like like whenever I listen to it, it I always get really excited. I really like. It. Yeah, and I you know when you were talking about like the thin thin Lizzy influence and. Mm. You know, even later as it as it picks up pace even more, you know, when the guitar mini section comes in. Right. I what I really like in sort of connecting it to what you just said is that they're not afraid to sort of roll up their sleeves and really let their influences show, even though, you know, some haters, you know, or um, current metal fans might call that sort of idea outdated. You know, or, or other bands might not want to go there because they think it would be outdated. Mm. And Metallica is not afraid to do it, and they execute it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, no, and there's lots of good moments in this song, like the, the "Love Is a Four Letter Word" section. Like that guitar riff's really good as well. Like it's kind of an open seven to ten, and then like it's kind of a heavier sort of chomp down as well. And it it just just James just forever coming up with clever little things to move the song around with. Absolutely, and I I think I think this song really shows the, their talent as arrangers. Um, you know, I, from what I've seen as far as documentaries and things like that, you know, in the little behind the scenes videos, Lars is really heavy in the arrangements, and he always has been. And I think this is a good example of how. Um, how successful Lars really is in that aspect and what he's really able to bring to the band. Mm. You know, that's that's one of the things that I always bring up, you know, when you get the, the classic, well, Lars is a shitty drummer, right. so on and so forth. A, re- a real general statement would be that there would be no Metallica without Lars, which is absolutely true. But at the same time i always take that step further because you got to give them credit that those iconic songs and those iconic arrangements you know that are um on display in this song you know that's that's almost exclusively lars and that's Mm. that's important because that's the difference between you know being the greatest metal band in the world and just being another really awesome metal band is the power in the song and so much of that comes from arrangements 
certainly, yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, as it is Lennon and McCartney, it is Hetfield and Ulrich, no doubt about it. They are yeah. kind of the engine that keeps it going. And, you know, I like just the way James sings with his guitarist, where he's like, this I swear, this I swear, like, you know, stopping and starting and kind of this real, this real desperation in this song. And it's kind of almost classic rock-esque as well. The chorus, like, waiting for the day. Like, it's quite, you know, it's quite modern. Uh, you know, it has a certain appeal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, speaking to what what we discussed before, I think it it it's part of the the influence that they wanted to bring on the song to have that sort of classic rock feel, you know. And it it, it obviously does help with the accessibility of the whole thing. And James' delivery is really nice on this song. There's you know he's soft where he needs to be. There's power where he needs to be, and on Death Magnetic as a whole, there's times where the delivery and, and, and the sound of the vocals leaves a little bit to be desired. You know, mm-hmm. at times on the record, his vocals are almost too dry. You know, there's there's not enough sort of shining up from a production standpoint. But on this song, that dry vocal really works nice, and it really pairs well with his delivery. Yeah, yeah, it really does. He does give a, a a great, great rendition on this song, and and the song as a whole, even though it's unique as we say on Death Magnetic, stands as a, a great track. And um, they've done it live quite a few times as well on quite a lot of their releases. It's on Guitar Hero World Tour as well, so you know it's definitely got a place there. Have you um have you ever seen the band live? I actually just saw them for the first time in August. Oh wow! Um, I was able to see them. Um, play the first rock show in a brand new NFL stadium in Minneapolis. Mm. So, um, I got to see Hardwired debut live. Nice. So that was a nice little treat. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and and nowadays off Death Magnetic, obviously they Cyanide is really the go-to. But it it would have been nice to you know, hear something that hasn't come out in a couple of years. And I would have absolutely been thrilled to hear this track. Mm, mm, mm. No, for sure. For sure. Um, it's been played 164 times live. So it's been given a, a fair outing, um, from August 22nd, 2008 in Leeds. It was debuted last played March 5th, 2017 in Mexico city. So, you know, the song, the song has got its airing there and like, I think among amongst fans, fair to say, you know, quite a favourite. the song that we're here to talk about for this episode um this is all mm-hmm. nightmare long off death magnetic and just before we get into the track as a um what did you feel about death magnetic as a whole as an album okay uh, the release of magnetic album coincided with me got into metallica again it was uh what's uh, nine years ago 
So mm. it's a very special album to me. It, it reminds me of the times. And um, All Night Merlon blew my mind then, even considering that uh, my ears were not that tough for all the thrash metal stuff right. back to then. And um, I also very like, still like um, Suicide and Redemption, The mm. Judas Kiss. Um, I think they are underrated. Mm-hmm. And um, now I write my own songs, and I see Magnetic also from a songwriter point. But anyway, every song has own soul and emotions, and and the associations are pretty individual. So everybody has own points on this. Mm-hmm. But I like it. I like it too, for a couple of reasons, mm-hmm. both the personal and musical. Yeah, and it's kind of, uh, are you aware that a lot of people love this album, Death Magnetic? I myself love it, but the production, it, it's a bit, the guitar sounds a bit kind of, it booms, doesn't it? It's not quite as good as Hardwired, for example. Yes, Hardwired is a perfect album in terms of uh, sound. Mm. It's um, it's perfect, but Death Magnetic, yeah. Um, I tried to drop the fact that uh, the production is bad when I listen to it, but just... Um, focusing on music but yeah with a better sound it would be much much better <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah certainly and um we get into the song itself which is uh you know fairly long song um seven minutes 57 i mean all of death magnetic is really long there's only one song that goes over that, that is uh, five minutes which is my apocalypse which is crazy yeah. really you know all the all the songs are really really long and like the intro of all nightmare long is you know such an exciting moment there you sort of have that 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 riff do 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 and then that really heavy crash of the guitar in the start i mean what what are your opinions on the kind of intro riffs of the song? Um, in general, I think All Night Merlon has the biggest number of riffs than any other song from Magnetic, like mm. like uh, 20 maybe, I don't know. Um, on the one hand, uh, because of that, a lot of riffs, um, the song doesn't have the focus, like the, ma- the very main riff, which carries other ones, like a train, carries its uh, wagons. Yeah, yeah. And in All Night Merlon, it seems like a half of riffs uh, wish to be the the train, yeah. the best riff. And um, my focus like spreads. I don't know how to consider the riff. Is it the main or is it uh, like uh, the next to main? I like songs when uh, we, we hear... Sorry. I like the songs with the killer main riff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The only one that stands out. And also other ones might be... They should be cool, but... But on the other, on the other hand, uh, in this is the beauty, the idea of the song. Like, the vibe of constant change in the riffs. Like, things to fear. Like, that's it? No. Here's another punch for you. And it sustains all all Nightmare Long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the song long. So Mm -hmm. that's the idea, just to be all the time in the feeling of... um in the feeling Mm-mm. yeah definitely definitely you have the cut of intro where the guitar sort of plays with the drums similar to like an am i evil or something you get this pulse you get this build up and then you know you get just the chug 
just like an open E going through and then the, just sort of that riff yeah. emerging out of the song itself. It's a great sort of reinforce. And I don't know about you, but I love when you hear James just go one, two, and then, and then the riff comes in, like it gives it a, a massive power. Yes, of course. Yes, I think this is uh, one of the best songs of Metallica uh, since Injustice for All album, I think. It's, mm. it's all the Metallica, practically practically all ultimate Metallica song. Maybe it's um, without a melodic interlude like in Master of Puppet, but still it's a classic Metallica song. Mm-hmm. Uh, intense, uh, a lot of riffs, fast. And of course, uh, vocals, lyrics. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, the, the the lyrics are awesome because I mean, a common theme uh, in Metallica is that they love to talk about uh, Cthulhu, the mythos of Cthulhu, and and Lovecraft. Obviously, the end of Ride the Lightning has the call of Cthulhu, incredible cliff song as well, incredible song in general. Uh, I thought it was really interesting when you pointed out that it was similar to Blood of Heroes. Um, from Megadeth mm-hmm. in one of your videos, which was really, really good. And they also did The Thing That Should Not Be. And um, James actually was speaking of this song um, all nightmare long in relation to Lovecraft, and he said, quote, it was an attempt to get back to the HP Lovecraft mythos with The Thing That Should Not Be, Call of Cthulhu, etc. This is about the Hounds of Tindalos, which was another crazy mindfuck about these wolves that hunt through the nightmares, and the only way you can get away from them is to stay within angles 120 degrees or less. You can't mm-hmm. even escape them through sleep which is just mm-hmm. a, a mad idea and and i think i think the lyrics kind of do that you know we'll hunt you down without mercy feel our breath upon your face feel our shift mm-hmm. every move we trace um you know i mean lyrics in metallica i think lyrics they were better with lyrics early on i think but i think all nightmare long the lyrics are very strong mm, yes i think uh, uh lyrics and music are very uh, bonded in the sun the vocals mm-hmm. and lyrics uh, so much the riffs and dynamics of the song. Metallica um, writes songs with meaningful melodies, like not just a few notes. Uh, their riffs are have some meaning, like uh, they that's um, the Call of Tulu, Ryan to Live to Die, Suicide Redemption. The instrumentals with no lyrics, they still have some sense, mm. emotions, and. And in vocal songs, uh, we must hear what both riffs and lyrics tell us. Uh, that's another reason why the brevity does work here. Like, not uh, uh, a bunch of words, ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. We must hear what uh, riff tells us and lyrics. Mm-hmm. And together they uh, just do the vibe of the song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah completely and um i mean you're such a, a a brilliant bass player again i urge people to check out your youtube channel check out in the description i'm gonna pop the link there multiple times and i want more people to listen to andre valenko stuff because it's just it, it's mad man you know you're gifted gifted what what do you think about the bass on this song the bass playing on this track uh rob did awesome job and uh, his uh one finger tremolo yeah if, uh, is so kind of opening eyes on what a fingerstyle bassist might be able to do. So, uh, and he co-wrote this song. We saw that in some kind of monster with his flamenco yeah. uh, thing. So, the song um, went from these uh, flamenco passages and we have this uh, a very, very um, changed version, but still 
this is Rob's flamenco. And uh, a demo of the song called Flamenco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. Um, I, I, I'm sure you've watched them yourself, but Metallica um, brought the cameras into the studio for the Death Magnetic. And there's some brilliant videos on YouTube of them kind of writing the songs. You get to see them in the process. And like you say, yeah, the song was originally known as Flamingo. And it's based off just Rob's brilliant acoustic guitar playing. And then they sort of built a riff out of it. And it's, you know, awesome song. I mean, talking more in general, obviously, you know, you idolize Cliff and rightly so. But I mean, on the spectrum, Metallica have had, you know, nothing but great bass players. Rob, Jason, Cliff. Like, how would you compare the three of them? Uh, I think Rob is the most technical bass player Metallica ever had, but uh, Rob knows his place in the band, when to follow more guitar and when drums, and in most cases it's just a compromise between accents of drums and melody and rhythm of guitar. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they all are professionals uh, with own approach and own charisma. I learn from everybody, Uh, Cliff, Jason and Rob. So, I learned from uh, everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cliff, Jason, Robert, they are awesome. Yes, yes, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And, I mean, this is quite a long song, and, and one of the lengthiest sections comes towards the end. Uh, you know, the solo, which kind of kicks off, nah, 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 kind of that sort mm-hmm. of classic Kirk riff, and then we sort of build out from it. Like, uh, what do you think of Kirk's solo in this song? Um I think it's a gem of the song, mm. like classic Metallica um, solo of yeah. Kirk. Yes, yeah. awesome. Yeah, it fits. It fits, and uh, it's moderately long, not very short, and not too long to to lose our attention. But uh, it's like it sounds the way it. Uh, it was meant to sound. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, in general, um, across Metallica, what are your, what are just interested really? Because obviously, you're quite an aficionado of this sort of thing. Like, what are your favorite Metallica guitar solos? Um, it may surprise you, but uh, my favorite solos in Metallica uh, is uh, are James's ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, know. I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, um, he played uh, a couple of solos, like uh, solos of full value, like in Nothing Else Matters, yeah. uh, To Live Is To Die, um, Suicide and Redemption, uh, I think uh, at the end of The Outlaw Torn, it's also a solo, and um, they all, um, they all like, uh, I don't know how to say it. Yeah, they have like a melody to them, don't they? That yes. Kirk's doesn't really have. And I, um, I mean, it's not the greatest Metallica song, but I quite like James's solo in Two by Four as well. Um, it's quite a nice, oh, yeah. it's quite nice. The first solo, obviously, Kirk does a solo afterwards. They're both really good solos, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying about Kirk. Like, it's kind of we get this sort of haphazard notes, and I like when the solo kind of gets a bit more energetic, and Kirk just sort of builds out and just keeps going up and up the fretboard, and the riffs are just piling in. Like, you know, it just it's madness. This song towards the end. You mentioned love. We've talked about Lovecraft before, and it does have that nightmarish, you know, hallucination sort of quality, and you know, just it really just blends well you know the whole thing just kind of has this kind of um 
you know apocalyptic kind of energy to it and then james sort of screams one two three four and then we go back into the song it feels like the mm-hmm. song's going to go back to a chorus and in fact we get you know kirk sort of pulling out pulling out before and i mean i love as well just as we get to the end of the song something that rarely happens in metallica there's like a moment of silence for like two seconds and then it's like hunt you down you know what i mean comes back in very effective yes yes it's a very good uh thing like a songwriting thing to like have a little pause and just punch <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in yeah. your face yeah yeah definitely definitely <laughs> broadly then we're looking at death magnetic today um mm-hmm. out of interest does the sound bother you because i think on something like cyanide it, it's not that brash for me sonically no uh i agree with that i mean a lot of the songs on death magnetic can be like really loud but i don't think cyanide is an example of that i, I really enjoy listening to, to it and i think it's a, it's a good track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very it's a very very good song. Um, I believe it was uh, Logan, a guest that I've had on uh, a while back on Broken Beat and Scarred. We mm-hmm. he spoke about the sort of the sweet middle of Death Magnetic, the four songs. So if Broken Beat is Scarred, Day That Never Comes, All Night May Long, Into Cyanide, uh, which is a six song, which are kind of, I, kind of the highlights. And like as we begin to unpick this song, I think Cyanide. Whilst it's not necessarily my favourite Metallica song, and I think there's a few flaws in the composition, it has some incredible moments. Like, you know, it has some um, terrific, terrific sections. But, you know, the song begins with that kind of, you know, that real bump, 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 that real punchy kind of push-pull intro. And, you know, I don't know about you, Emil, like, often I denigrate Kirk a little bit for his obtrusive use of wah. But I (laughs) I, I think it's quite useful in this intro. Yeah, I think it really fits with just how the like the the motion you want to uh, describe, like or what what do you want, where do you want to get, in the, especially especially in this song. But in other songs, it might not work as well. But just yeah. in this one, it's really great. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, obviously um, James is the engine of Metallica, no doubt. But you can yeah. imagine him in the studio, like uh, Kirk. You got any ideas? Like, why don't I just play the chord but with wah and it. And it <laughs> But it works. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't sound awful. It actually apparently it was the Dimebag Daryl pedal he was using. Um, oh, I was, yeah, I was reading a few forum posts about that and sort of how to get that sound and stuff. But yeah, it just, it just I, I love how it has the dun 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 dun. But you can still hear the chugging of the opening yeah. underneath. Yeah, you can you can like hear James's James's tight rhythm like mm. dun 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 chica chica chica, mm. and then you hear bow wow. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It, yeah, it, it's kind of both players, isn't it? It's both Kirk and yeah. James in one riff. Um, yeah. in, in the perfect way and yeah I, I love how it starts you know it just has a, such a ferocious kind of beginning and we get into okay it's not a, it's not a flaw with Cyanide for me I just think like the riffs take their time in Cyanide we have the opening yeah. riff then we have the bass line then we have yeah. that kind of 
almost like a new wave of British heavy. It reminds me of Iron Maiden, just the slide. It sounds a bit like Atlas Rise, um, yeah. the sort of intro to Cyanide. And then, I don't know if you're familiar with the Pearl Jam song, Why Go, um, from 10, which basically uses the open notes in the 7-5. It's similar to the end of the line as well. Like, the the riffs are kind of... It's maybe if one of my problems with Death Magnetic is the riffs are slightly incestuous, aren't they, um, in terms of audio? Yeah, yeah I mean, you can, sometimes they're, like, hard to hear or, like... The they blur out each other and mm. they blur out the drums and stuff like that and that that can be a that's a big problem on the whole of Death Magnetic but on this track I don't really like see that but mm, mm, mm. yeah yeah it's, it's even it, like I guess I guess a complaint I've had a lot with um, the albums that preceded this especially Load and Reload was it was all a bit from the same cloth it was all a bit we've heard these kind of riffs before and I think with the intro riff of Cyanide and the you know it they're having fun I can tell that James really enjoyed writing this one yeah yeah totally I mean it's it's kind of like classic Metallica, but still doing as a few things from Load and Reload. I mean, that's that's how, at least how I see it. Like, mm-hmm. it's a very it's a progressive track, but not as progressive as Death Magnetic can go. No, 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 De- definitely not, <laughs> definitely not. Um, I think the middle section, which we'll get to, has some really progressive elements to it. But yeah, the yeah. Sort of, you know, James, you know, he, he sings well over this clamor, over this slide. I I like the. The sort of the bridge, the empty they set, you know, because yeah, the, the, when he when he goes up, yeah, 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 yeah. But even even on the opening versions of that, just the strumming, just the ferociousness of the band behind him. Yeah, it's like a it's a really aggressive attack in an aggressive song. I mean, it's not a really fast song. It's no. kind of it's a really groovy song. Yeah. I mean, I dig the groove a lot. And then you have um, then this punch gets in, like, the intro, that's a big punch to the face. But then when the chorus kicks in, or, yeah, the empty, they say, mm-hmm. bam, another punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, really, really, really good. And I, I, know, I get what you're saying, actually, about the grooviness, because that, that's where I really like the chorus. When he's singing yeah. the suicide, and he's like, no, 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 Like, it's quite yeah. complex, off-kilter riffing. I mean, this is James's bread and butter, really, him singing across difficult things. But yeah. I really can't get enough of the dance of the chorus, hearing James on top of what he's playing. I think it's delicious. Yeah, I mean, it's just a match made in heaven. I mean, James is such an, a brilliant riff. He's mm. a risk god. And then- oh, yeah. And then he can sing about that. I mean, I can't even imagine how hard it would be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's just, it's complete. It's like doing two different dance steps with each, you know, with with your left and right foot and making it yeah, look I good. Like, like I don't, I don't know how he could kind of do it. And again, yeah. it's kind of new ground for Metallica. I've not really, you know, a lot of the chorus stuff that they sing over is kind of standard power chords or whatever, or it's the riff yeah. or here. But with the and just the notes he's playing as well, it feels. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say Egyptian because I know Metallica like together, but quite exotic, you know. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, Death Magnetic is a exotic. I've said that like a few times already, but just this track is a great example of how exotic it can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm. completely. And um, you know, the song kind of. I guess that's part of my problem. So the song, the song builds to this brilliant climax of the chorus, and then yeah. we get the riffs again, um, where it almost feels like we're on a little bit of a conveyor belt. We don't because the song itself. How long's the song here? The song is um, six minutes forty, which which actually makes it the third shortest song on Death Magnetic. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, okay. I don't know about you, Cyanide for me. 
it ju- it does feel a little long. Just just maybe could take a minute off it just to give it a yeah. bit more of an impact. Yeah, I I feel I think it's like a bit like two by four. Oh because, yeah. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. How it's stretched a lot, and I I see that with with this because they repeat a lot of the sections. Yeah. Many yeah. times, and then they go to this middle section where a lot of stuff is happening oh man and then you go back to it just just that middle section that section that's like aha you thought we were gonna do this but it's like bum 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 oh man yeah like that that minute or so as we're building in as it's it's kind of the bridge i don't mind you know where where james is sort of like is this rain or are they tears like that that's kind of nice but for me it's that staccato rhythms that are playing in between it it's it's one of the highlights death magnetic that minute or so yeah 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 i mean i really like that's that's a great part of the song and then the, my favorite part of the song like just listening to that bridge because it's like and it kicks in back mm-hmm. into the solo mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah a, a great solo from kirk i have to say yeah yeah really good one <laughs> yeah yeah he, he he rips and like one one of the things that kirk always does and a lot of guitar players do it is he'll use the chords beneath him to make a melody so as the riff is happening his solo's like you know you can sort of hear and you're like okay well this is the rhythm that james inhabited or is inhabiting as he's doing this sort of thing and we have lots of standard kirk isms the kind of the open string climb the legato section there's nothing i'm not i'm not going to put it up against like a creeping death or a fade to black or a, or a shorty straw or you know any of these classics but i think for no, pure no. for pure excitement for working in the environment of the song it's successful yeah it, i mean a solo is not a solo if it doesn't work with the song so yeah. And it, this solo really works uh, along with uh, how, what James is playing and how like the song progresses and stuff like that, and that's what makes it makes it a good solo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. just I like I like how they they have a sort of traditional to a certain extent um, kind of slower section with the rain. Are they tears? And yeah. the guitar just like Concrete Angel. Like if you listen to the actual guitar, it has a, quite a playfulness. Sometimes it they have like a little pull or a little bend, yeah. or it's not not everything's so solid. Yeah, and they play like a jazz, some kind of jazzy chord there. I mean, yeah, yeah, do 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 something like that. Yeah, 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 something yeah, else. yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard to sing, but I know exactly what you mean. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that mo and, and and it's kind of it's a bit of a ride, cyanide. Like you know, it, it just has a lot of different parts. But again, for me, kind of the the floor is ending this big solo section and I, I i love hearing kirk's lead at the start i just love hearing him just rip on this song yeah. like you know he really gives it his always really going places with it but then we get back into the that bass and it feels like it kind of robs a little momentum for me yeah yeah it, i mean it's not the best way to stop a solo but i mean kind of works mm. Yeah. yeah, it just kind of stops, doesn't it? It literally just, yeah, yeah a red light comes yeah. on and then it's... Yeah, it's... Rob stops, he's yeah. stopping Kirk in his tracks and, I mean... And I, I should say as well, one, uh, one of the things that I really like about that, that dun, 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 that middle section, I love hearing yeah. Lars's drums. They sound yeah. so spacious, so frantic, so splashy. He sounds brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... There's a lot of power in that, mm. in just that section. I mean, it's kind of like the intro really yes yeah it's going going back to the intro and then moving forward through the song with the power that they progress and then they go into that yeah <laughs> um i guess we should say as well the solo doesn't 
stop stop we get a harmony don't we at the end which like uh, a, like a guitarmony that sort of um it harks back to the the old days of, of metallica when they used to do more of this sort of stuff yeah 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 no i definitely know what you mean they used to do that a lot <laughs> it's like you know yeah. you, you know when you play yeah. guitar and you sort of you learn that like there's there's, yeah. 20, there's 20 f sharps on the fretboard and you just sort of yeah. you know you find the highest octave one the lowest one and then they're playing <laughs> they're playing that game and it's really fun yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I know exactly what you yeah, mean. Like yeah. when you go, just go runner. Run yeah, runner yeah. I remember um, I, Joe Satriani released this book like twenty years ago. Like it was a collection of all his articles that he put in guitar magazines, and that was one of the games he said about learning notes on a fretboard. Like set a metronome to one twenty, give yourself a note like A, and then okay, so you play the fifth fret on the E, you play the open, you play the you know whatever, and then you know it's yeah. kind of fun. I think I think Joe and Kirk have history or something. I have to do an episode. Anyway, we talk about cyanide and. Yeah. Um, um, as ever, uh, James, you know, he loves to kind of emphasise that the song is closing, that the song is climaxing. I like when yeah. you hear him in the back of the speaker, like, like, empty. like he's really pushing himself. Yeah, pushing himself really, really far on this one. Like, you can hear he's, like, almost screaming on top of his lungs, like, back in the 80s, mm. but then closing the song with it. And I read that's, I think it's a cool way, because it feels like a completely different, different chorus, but, I mean... It's to the bare bones. It isn't. It's just the same, but with more power to the vocals. Mm, mm, mm. And it just kind of, for me, in a certain sense, uh, you know, the, the the song is all about funerals and coffins and death. Yeah. And it just the album cover just seems so emblematic. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, of 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 cyanide as a whole. I mean, I know it's not that deep. But does this? What does this song mean to you in terms of its lyrics? I mean, I'm looking at the lyrics right now, and I've studied it a few times, and I mean, it's just death in general i mean yeah. <laughs> suicide cyanide i mean mm-hmm. take a cyanide pill you're not gonna like have a good time at all you're just gonna you're just gonna die yeah, yeah but i mean he says in the chorus like living or living dead inside so i mean it's kind of like it's a bit like low man's lyric when he says like um i'm already like dead anyway so mm-hmm. might as mm-hmm. might as well just <laughs> yeah might as well just take my life and like in now that we're dead as well and stuff like that so it's i I see a man that just doesn't want anything else and it just takes a cyanide pill and kills himself Mm -hmm. yeah 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 there's a lot of um despair here living dead inside break this empty shell forevermore as well you know there's no sort of uh you know hope really um there's no there's no no look to faith or any form of redemption which is again is a common metallica theme here and um and and yeah the few just a funeral i've been waiting for as well i guess in a sense we're all waiting for our funerals but you know not 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 you know anticipating it with anything but um you know here here james plays that and that i mean that yes cyanide like all together for me i think it's a successful track i think you know, obviously, people like us know all the songs really well, but I think people who even may just listen to Death Magnetic in passing, it's a very memorable track. I think this yeah. is a, this is a song that they played live regularly. They've actually played it live 184 times. Um, 194. 184. Yeah. So, 184, I, I mean, oh. even still, yeah, just 10 less, but st- still a hell of a lot. Um, debuted August 9th, 2008, in Dallas. Uh, last performed just over two years ago, actually, uh, in, oh. in Rio de Janeiro. Um, so maybe, yeah, they did it in um, City, yeah, Rock in Rio. They did it last so yeah. i guess it's kind of it was you know it was the new album we're playing this song kind of thing yeah yeah but i mean cyanide s- sticks out a lot from death magnetic because a lot of, th- of things on death magnetic are really fast like mm. 
all nightmare long, and then you have um, they have a really oh yeah, a my, my sections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just your life. Yeah, I agree. It's it it's not. I, I guess it has flashy elements, but it kind of it's kind of taking like the load reload groove rock and sort of modernizing it to a bit of a more metal standard. Yeah, uh, I can agree with that. It's it's. Uh, I think that's a good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean there's, there's, yeah. It's not it's not the most coherent point, but you know, you, you, see, yeah. you see what I'm getting at. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. I I mean, yeah. Altogether, obviously, I think it's quite clear that we, um, you know, enjoy cyanide. Any any closing thoughts on cyanide, Emil? Um, I mean, it's a really, it's a good song. It has a lot of, like, you can feel the groove in it. to Unforgiven yeah. Free, how do yeah. you feel about songs, sequels and, you know, beyond like with the fucking trilogy going down right now with songs? Did you approve of that or? Right. Um, I actually never really encountered like, um, you know, a song with its like sequels until uh, I heard obviously Metallica's Unforgiven mm-hmm. trilogy. Um, <clears throat> I am a huge fan of the first Unforgiven. I think it's hands down the best unforgiven song i think it's one of their best songs um definitely my favorite song off the black album um i think the unforgiven 2 is uh i like it a lot it's different which i think is the thing i appreciate about it the most um just it's a completely different vibe this one i would say is probably the weakest of the three um for me personally that being said though it is a killer song on a killer album. This is definitely musically one of my favorite moments on uh, Death Magnetic. Really? Yes. Okay. I don't mind this song. I couldn't. I can't agree with that though. I think like Broken Beat and Scarred, End of the Line, Cyanide. Like I don't know. There's a bit more exciting guitar work on those ones. And I think I'm thinking more um, in terms of like James's singing, in terms of like that kind of music, like vocal melody. Um, cause obviously the, you know, the guitar parts are good in this song, but right. they're, they're just, you know, obviously they're not as, um, kind of, uh, like new, like new legend, new legends or classics as like, yeah, they're not uh, as explosive. All Nightmare Long or, yeah. right, right. Yeah. All Night, yeah. All Nightmare Long is a good example of my apocalypse as well, but we begin with the yeah. piano, which leads mm-hmm. us in, you know, reminds me a little bit. I don't know if you ever listened to any of Warren Ellis and Nick Cave's movie soundtrack work. Um, they've done, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, they've done like the road, the assassination of Jesse James, and stuff like that. Real talented musicians. He does the Dirty Free as well. Just you know, because the reason I bring that up because it's basically a minute of instrumental yep. strings and this swoon, very mournful kind of elegant swirl. Um, what what do you make of the first minute of this? Um, I really like it. I think the uh, orchestra thing. It feels fresh, but at the same time, like it isn't because obviously this band has a history with performing with an orchestra. Um, I think it's very in line with their whole approach with the Death Magnetic when they were making it, you know, kind of um, not 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 necessarily rehashing, but like revisiting old sure. elements of the band that, um, you know, that made yeah. them great trying to the recapture that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Recapture mm-hmm. that um, that magic and that energy, mm-hmm. and I definitely feel it with this intro. Um, it's a little 
it was a little jarring when I first heard the song that there's no horn intro like the other two. Yeah. <laughs> but um, honestly, I think if anything, because I, I do not mind the orchestral intro at all. If anything, I kind of wish they nixed the horn intro on Unforgiven 2 and just kind of went into the song, into that song. Because I think the horn intro works for the first one. You have this orchestral for the third one. And there really wasn't a need for it on the second one. But, you know. It was just a signal, wasn't it, really? That, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a two on yeah. the end, and yet we are going to be harking about with a lot of DNA. But speaking of that, there isn't much <clears throat> Unforgiven thus in Unforgiven 3, right? There isn't. Um, I what, think what the would most. What you say unf- is Unforgiven <laughs> about this? Like, I, I guess you can speak about theme and whatever, but musically, right. there's, there's no real cues, is there? I think the biggest thing musically that calls back to um, the whole like Unforgiven uh, ethos is the song structure because um, yeah. it's a callback to the first one, the mm-hmm. heavy uh, verse and the soft chorus. Yeah, the the verse riff especially is quite similar. Yeah, in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I don't. Uh, the intro I don't mind. The intro I think is a little indulgent for what it is. It's just a little bit too long for me. You know, there mm. is some lower notes rumbling, a kind of solemn squall to the thing that kind of picks up, and there's a few kind of contemporary horns there that yawn and release. And the first minute of the song is quite quite ambient and um, mm. quite quite mysterious and enigmatic. But then we get in with the guitar playing, which is mm-hmm. kind of circling around that open note and kind of pulling back and then the second guitar comes on pulsing with that arpeggio thread like you know uh, how do you find that section as kirk and james come into the fray um like i said i really like james's vocals uh throughout this entire song it's definitely i think a vocal highlight for me on the album um and i like that uh like e octave thing that uh james is playing in the main riff and then um into like in the intro and then into the um the main riff uh, during the verse because I think it, um, it it connects the end of the verse to the beginning of the chorus well and you know like we said this song calls back to the first Unforgiven with the uh, heavy verse and the soft chorus and I think they make those transitions work well because if you're gonna do that you need you you know you need those smooth transitions to make the song flow well so mm-hmm. I think they pulled that off pretty well and you know in terms of the imagery of the song uh very much in the nautical sense of the word you know uh, right <laughs> lots of sea ships and, and waves and mouthful of water and like i appreciate the different direction you know it's not just kind of leaning into that unforgiven ethos to a certain extent it's branching out but still embodying a lot of the themes of the songs right um i get this imagery of like a ship lost at sea mm-hmm. um i think it's i think it's fresh you know i think it's new mm-hmm. um you had these I feel like very, um, I guess not as like vivid uh, imagery in the first two. It was, they were very personal songs, especially that first, uh, mm. the first Unforgiven was just so like, so unprecedented in the um, band's catalog because it was such a personal song. And um, it's nice to have, I think, something to, you can actually visualize with this one. Um, so again, like a ship lost at sea, um, lots of like feelings of, I think, loneliness and, um, kind of isolation and you know trying to find yourself um, and actually in an uh, in an interview uh, Mission Metallica uh, basically like a death magnetic track by track um, it was James and Rob that were yeah, kind of commenting that, yeah and James actually says um, you know it's it's interesting that the Unforgiven um, is kind of one of the songs and or like the only song really in uh, Metallica's catalog that 
uh, continues in somewhat of a storyline about sin and consequence, forgiveness and unforgiveness, um, asking for forgiveness, not being able to forgive yourself. Um, so again, the whole like feeling lost, uh, maybe abandoned, um, trying to see if you can forgive yourself for your sins and, you know, kind of go from there, um, I think is really interesting. And the actual chorus itself, the how can I be lost if I've got nowhere to go, that is mm-hmm. some of the hookiest shit Metallica have ever written. Oh, absolutely. Real um, earworm, so, isn't it? Real addictive melody. It's so simple, yet mm. it's so effective. Yeah. There's a searching yeah. quality to it. Uh, a real real lyrical appeal. Uh, even like even like the slightly duff lyric search for seas of gold uh, doesn't tarnish it for me because it's just that kind of that 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 swing to it that right. I do really appreciate. Um, and the song is you know thrown together to a certain extent. It's slightly bolted on for me in terms of I, don't, I just don't find too much of the guitar that memorable. And I've got to say I do find the verse riff almost a little intrusive. It's almost like it's mm-hmm. fighting Hetfield. Uh, like, what is actually leading this verse? Is it this verse riff that kind of, because of the Death Magnetic production, is a little clumsy in the mix and quite high? Or is it Hetfield singing? I, I don't know if you feel the same way. Um, I agree um, to a certain extent. I think the thing that really not only saves this song from... You know, maybe having somewhat, um, especially relatively speaking, somewhat mediocre uh, music, especially with the guitars, um, is just and brings this song, I think, above and beyond. And one of my favorites from this album is James's delivery, because mm. um, it, you know, his vocals have only gotten better um, as they've kind of progressed through their uh, discography. And um, it, you know, it's amazing that even you know, ten years ago, and even today, uh, or like in the last couple of years with Hardwired and um even today he's just he's one of those few metal singers that has um maintained his voice and not only that i think in a way gotten better and more comfortable with um with his singing yeah yeah yeah. he's definitely developed a grain you know a sense of maturity but not kind of sacrificed it to any sense of you know legibility uh exactly he's aged really well um and, you know, around the four and a half minute mark, the song gets a little bit more meditative, uh, kind of b- builds on James' guitar, Kirk. The lead is kind of spotted as if it's in the bushes approaching menacingly. James is talking about forgive me and, and vamping on that idea. And as James screeches, uh, Kirk kind of raises to the, rises to the occasion as well. There's kind of a flurry of quite unforgiving, harsh solo notes. Um, yep. We spoke about this before on Unforgiven 2 uh, and Kirk's mm-hmm. solo on that because obviously Unforgiven One has like one of the legendary Kirk solos. I call it a Hollywood solo. You know, it's one of these kind of yep. guitar theatrics. We've all seen Bob Rock coaxing out of him, and it's you know magnificent sequence, and the result is breathtaking. This solo to me, um, yeah, just uh, uh, you know, very unremarkable. <laughs> Doesn't do it for you. No, no, not at all. Um, I will say this: the solo is okay for me. Um, at first, you're right. It, Kirk really is just kind of doing this like meandery shreddy thing where it's just a lot of noise with obviously a lot of wah. <laughs> it's not very melodic. Um, but I like, um, I think it's around like around six minutes into the song. So like probably halfway into the solo, he actually starts matching the rhythm riffs underneath. Um, and it sounds really melodic and it just sounds really cool. And, um, I think it has more, uh, uh, more teeth at that point. Um, it's kind of interesting though, cause on the album, that's how I feel about the song. I'm not really digging the solo until like uh, about halfway into it. 
I rewatched the uh, performance they did of it um, about a year ago, actually, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Right. And this is like the first time they played it in like eight years or something. And I actually really liked the performance. I thought uh, even like the, you know, the uh, kind of haphazard, like shreddy parts that Kirk does at the beginning. I thought that even sounded good. So um, I don't know if it's just a death magnetic production thing or, sure. you know, versus a live thing. But um, that's kind of how I feel about the solo. Yeah, that was September 6th last year, 2018. At the yeah, so just yeah. a little over a year ago. Yeah, yeah 10 times I played this song live. That's all. Which I, yeah, which I thought was crazy because yeah. I could have sworn they played it a lot more than that on the World Magnetic Tour, but I guess not. <laughs> yeah, got very few airings. Got pretty much all overseas airings, like in Tokyo and Lyon, France, and uh, Melbourne, and then yeah, dusted off, of course, for the recent S and M two shows as well. Yes, um, I saw a clip on YouTube of that, and it wasn't the best quality because obviously they haven't released the um, like the film and concert yeah. or in uh, theaters that they're going to do next month, um, which I'm going to go see, which I'm really Me excited too. for. Yeah, I'm seeing it in yeah. Oxford, yeah. Um, but from what I did see, like just fan videos on YouTube, I really liked the arrangement. I thought it was um, a good a good time to let James's uh, voice shine yeah, um, with yeah. the orchestra. Guitarless yep. James, kind of out yep. of the open there. Yeah, fragile <laughs> yep. and uh, vulnerable, and I appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, just on the solo as well, to me, it's just slightly too repetitive. Um, there's yeah. some, you know, wide note choices in terms of the interval, but they're not really brave or interesting. It's just kind of to make the solo seem a little bit more tangible perhaps uh, lots of blues box rhythms as well with the wah to accentuate that you know this is an um house of pain by van halen like that ends of a blues box solo and eddie's just going mental in the sequence this though right. just feels a bit overlong overwrought um and you know james again sings well as you say and slightly rescues it for me but i've got to say altogether, this might mm-hmm. be the weakest song on death magnetic for me overall okay um, I think I personally would give that to Suicide and Redemption. Okay, that um, okay, okay, non-instrumental, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but non-instrumental. non-instrumental. Um, I mean, I do like I do like this song. So I think if I had to like rank them all, maybe like just in terms of what's technically the best, this might be kind of at the lower end of the list. But that being said, I mean, I love Death Magnetic. I love pretty much every track on that album. Um, it is one of my favorite Metallica albums of all time. So really underrated album i think i uh, yeah absolutely just if I people so. go back and kind of analyze some of those songs the way they're put together it is yeah uh you're pretty astonishing as always guys we go to twitter at metallica pod uh what did you think of unforgiven free tommy says phenomenal the intro is so beautiful has easily one of my favorite kirk solos and james's vocals and lyrics are beautiful Bozo says, love, 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 Unforgiven. Um, the way the solo ends up following the melody at one uh, point with more Alibois, that line about intoxicating the whole sale theme. What a song. Awesome trilogy as well. Not a dud song of the three. Aurelian says, not a big fan of the guitar lines in the chorus, but the intro and the building in the middle section, forgive me, forgive, are great. They could have finished the song by extending the middle, middle section because the solo is forgettable and overlong. The song is too long. Ralph says at the moment I would say this is my favourite of the three especially after hearing their rendition at SNN2 no horn at the beginning no problem as the orchestration really adds something to the intro love how they take the final instalment in a different direction including the seafaring metaphors and the lyrics James's vocal approach on this one kills and Kirk has quite the solo during this excellent tune and Dante finally says weak uh, what about yourself any closing thoughts on this track uh, Adil? Um, the only other thing I think I would say is 
something that you kind of hinted at at the beginning, um, you know, the possibility of an Unforgiven 4. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'd be open to it, but I, I only if they can pull it off so that it makes the trilogy, and at that point it wouldn't be a trilogy anymore, but they make it part of the, like, fit into the series seamlessly. And obviously musically, it's, you know, very mature. Um, it sounds like thematically and musically it fits into um, the series of songs. Mm. Um, it's kind of interesting that they've released an Unforgiven on every other album um, since the Black Album. So, yeah. I mean, technically, you know, they did on Death Magnetic. They didn't do one on Hardwired. So who knows if they do another album, maybe there will be. Um, an, an the Unforgiven, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. the song then a lot of death magnetic has this sort of stop start nature there's always complex little beats connecting phrases and the beginning to me has a bit of a sort of am i evil sort of element to it and then reminds me a little bit of eye of beholder as well with the really harsh the wow now wow you know it's so it's so chaotic sounding yeah it's uh it's sort of dissonant and mm. discordant um and you know it kind of sets that you know sort of I don't know, kind of a violent um, setting for the rest of the song. You know, it's not it's not an easy song to listen to. You know, no. it's not like cashmere where you can put it on and, yeah. you know, let it, you know, sort of float down the river. Um, it's choppy and harsh. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it's kind of a hard listen, but, um, you know, I'm still all in. Yeah, and the production of Death Magnetic, does this stick out to you? A lot of people, this, is, this bothers them in their craw. You know, it's quite bright, they say. Um, no, it doesn't bother me one bit. I loved, um, in fact, it's funny. I know that, uh, Death Magnetic came out 10 years ago last month and I had a, um, I, I reposted a, uh, a Facebook post from, from 10 years ago and it said, um, it said, uh, you know, Mark is, you know, welcoming back his old friends, late eighties Metallica. I wrote that. I wrote that to myself uh, 10 years ago, so I loved it then. I, I still you know, really enjoy this album now. And, and lyrically, I think this song's pretty incredible, really. I think it's a high watermark for Hetfield, not just in the symbolism in the story, but just some of his turns of phrase in the first verse, when the fear abducts your tongue, I think is great. Yeah, and, you know, the, uh, the lyrics, it, you know, he goes into, you know, talking about sort of someone's life, going sideways, right? Mm-hmm. Depression and frustration. And, you know, he sort of convinces that here's your way out, sell your soul to me, which, you know, we might get to, but, um, you know, and then sort of that journey to now that, you know, he owns you. And that's kind of, um, I think it's sort of master of puppets-ish. Yeah, definitely. You know, he ultimately gets into the, you know, he uses the I pronoun, you know, as the antagonist, which uh, really sort of makes that song connect. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what now? Where go I? And I like when he sings the where go I, those high notes on the guitar that just kind of underscore that element, that confessional. And you mentioned the um, the bow down, sell your soul to me. This is one of my favorite moments on Death Magnetic as a whole. The bow down and the guitar underneath yeah. that is so, it's just so fresh, isn't it? It's so pure. Yeah. And, you know, it continues that death magnetic trend of the, you know, the fast single note picking. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear it in All Nightmare Long yeah. um, as well. And, you know, that's the reason why I love Metallica is because you can sort of listen big to the entirety of, you know, the sound of, of the song. But you can also listen small. And whether it's you're listening to the riff underneath the lyrics whether you're listening to, you know, the subtleties of some of, uh, you know, Lars's, you know, fills, you know, whether you want a headbang or, or listen to the intricacies, um, you know, it's all it's all there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The drums are terrific in this section. as well. They're just such energy, such a, a propulsive nature to the song. And as I, say, I love James, the images that he's occupying into the abyss. You don't exist. Cannot resist. It's a bit like my apocalypse, how it kind of it's building and building and building to that ending. And James is kind of gathering himself up, gathering himself up. And then it's going forward. And yeah, I think I think the band sounds absolutely fantastic on this track. And it is one of the longer songs on the record It is one of the more epic songs. I think you mentioned like anything over seven minutes, you consider a sort of epic Metallica song, which is very true. But it never outstays. It, it doesn't outstay its welcome, I don't think. No, definitely not. And yes, I consider Metallica, uh, I consider the epics or anything over seven minutes. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I came at that because you, nothing else matters and wherever I re- may roam are, are between 6.30 and 7. Yeah. And no one would call those epics. No. So uh, yeah, so anything over seven. Um, no, I enjoyed it. I think, you know, just in the way that I listen, you know, I drift a little bit when uh, it gets to uh, the long solos. Um, yeah. I I love these solos, uh, you know, from Kirk. Um, but, um, you know, I, I enjoy this song all the way through. There aren't any, you know, poor parts or, you know, any skippable uh, sections of the song. No, no, it's uh, eight minutes and one second. It's actually the, technically the longest song on the album. Obviously, Suicide and Redemption's almost 10 minutes, nine minutes, 58, but that is an instrumental. Um, I don't... I, the song's long, though, because of Kirk's solo, as you mentioned, which I'm sure some Metallica fans are going to correct me out there. It feels like maybe his longest solo. It just goes on and on and on, and it has some interesting parts, and what I find in the Death Magnetic era that isn't really in the hard idea look i'm not the biggest fan it's been clear on alpha talica of kirk's playing on these albums i think it's a little lazy i think there could just be an ipad that lars jabs at and just plays stock riffs or whatever but there are sounds there are moments that kirk can do and i think it's kind of hard to sound out here but when he's kind of strumming picking that really quick note with the wah and it's sort of surfacing out it sounds awesome there's i've got a note in here that one of his licks sounds a bit like a space invader which again i can't really connote i want to put a link in here to get across but yeah the solo is interesting i love the start of the solo where he's just prowling with that wah and sort of backing himself up and one thing that in this song um mark that i don't think i've ever heard in many of metallica songs is mid solo James sings a little something. Uh, Judas lives, recite this vow. I become your new god now, and then the solo just crashes back in. Yeah, it's I, I love it. Mm. Um, you know, Kirk is soloing for you know it's about two minutes long, yeah. just about. Um, and you know, I sort of see it as the 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 solo sort of it just begins that descent into, you know, this person is maybe, you know, chooses to, um, you know, sell their soul. And then, you know, once sort of that 
transaction or transformation takes place, it's like now, you know, shit hits the fan mm. and, you know, here we go. And, and, you know, the solo just explodes to sort of, sort of underscore it. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of this solo is just Kirk, you know, ripping and shredding it up. And mm-hmm. after all these years of, you know, five years ago, you had, you know, St. Anger where there's no solos and you had a long period of time, you know, even with the load and reload where there's not a lot of like real shredding no. uh, by Kirk. It gets bluesy and a lot yep. of, you know, sort of careful um, um, solos. And so it had been a long time since you heard Kirk just blow up. Right. So yeah. it's just it was just great to hear him just, you know, shred at one thirty second notes or you know yeah 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 you're right you're a bit like this the opening solo to that was just your life which is one of my mm-hmm. all-time favorite metallica songs it just has these giant bends like you can really feel kirk, kirk purging some of his demons and you know there's certain <laughs> stuff in in cyanide when he's riffing of the da, 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 da. like you just yeah there's a lot of invention here and there and i think this is a fun song and it does connote into that and it's just 10 out of 10 intensity for the most part uh it doesn't let up like all the death magnetic songs don't let up and yeah i mean you know the, and the song's quite limber in places as well it's quite slippery the band are expert at playing these changes and it's not just riff after riff after riff as i said before there is these kind of intermediary stop start sort of nature again i want to just point to the bow down sequence which i just think is absolutely badass i you know judas kiss it, it is a terrific song i'd say Unquestionably, um, you know, it's deep in the uh, in the disc. It's the number eight song. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't get the same sort of play as, um, you know, other songs, other songs might. But it's really it's one of my favorites on uh, on Death Magnetic and, and you know, probably a, maybe a top 10, you know, in my entire discography. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Death Magnetic so good. Like, it's such a terrific album. I remember listening to it when it came out 10 years ago. Um, and enjoying it, but kind of I wasn't really in a Metallica phase at that point in my life. I was sort of into other bands and stuff like that, but I, but I enjoyed it. But as I've gone on, and I, you know, all the songs we've covered so far on the show, All Nightmare Long, uh, Cyanide, Day That Never Comes, End of the Line, Broken Beaten Scars, you know, we're getting to the point where we covered most of them. I just, mm-hmm. I just, the bang knocked it out of the park, really. I think they really, you know, doubled down on who they were. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, it's been talked about at length, but, you know, Rick Rubin tells them to go back to maybe Mm -hmm. some of their first four albums and, um, you know, pull ideas and inspiration from there, you know, and, you know, for me also listening to, uh, you know, to that album and, you know, I wasn't big on the on the heartbeat intro to um, that was just your life. But when, you know, when they get into the riffs and then we get Lars's double bass drum, you know, you know, in parts of that song, it's like, oh, my God, they're back. And this is just yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that opening, that was just your life riff. I think a collective sigh was heard around the world. When we <laughs> that. Like, you know, they are they are back. And this song, uh, due to this case, as good as it is, remains one of their obscure live plays. It was pretty much exclusively relegated to the World Magnetic Tour. It actually was first, but 30 times it's been played. So it's not, you know, it's not one of these ones they've only done once or twice, but only a little bit. They first played it in Nottingham in dear old England in February 20, 2009 and last played it in New Zealand, Christchurch, September 2010. Could you, could, I mean, I can't really see this coming back in the tour slot but it'd be fun to see 
Of course. I mean, I, I would love to see it. But um, when you have a limited amount of time and you have a certain number of, you know, they probably have, what, six songs that they have to play. Oh, yeah. You know, every show plus whatever's on the most recent album. So I don't think Judas Kiss is going to come back unless they have their, you know, 40th anniversary shows at, uh, you know, at the Fillmore. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would love to see it. But again, uh, you know, you have an eight minute song and that can you know, I sure. think to please a uh, an arena or a stadium full of fans, um, you know, you you might put in, you know, a couple of uh, more familiar, you know, four minute songs. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a tricky song. As the majority of Death Magnetics, I can understand them maybe not wanting to practice it and rehearse it and put it inside. Maybe just be like, oh fuck, let's just do two by four. Which, which again, I'd like to see them do two by four live. Like, it, uh, you know, it, it's so funny. I almost, um, I I almost listed two by four, which is, you know, I I don't know if it's a particularly well-regarded song but that one is i I considered it as my favorite uh metallica song every time i hear that i'm ready to run through a brick wall yeah yeah i know what you mean and i I, it was i think it was the first song i covered on the show and i think i was a little overly harsh on it but i do actually really like two by four and i think if they jigged it up to a heavier version it could work and james is james having so much fun on that track and it really shows and again another song where there's really long guitar sodas on it but yeah it's been played uh, 30 times uh, that that's pretty much all of it and um didn't actually get onto the metallica twitter metallica pod twitter normally i ask what people think of the songs didn't get a chance to but a very good friend of the show mr clint wells has sent an extended message concerning this song <laughs> and just before we get into this um you're very lucky you met the legend himself recently right that's right um he uh with uh with his band um he came out to northern california uh for a gig and just like he does uh on his show um he said if if anyone's ever around uh he'll he'll you know provide a couple of tickets and so uh my girlfriend and i uh you know drove up to their show i saw my first country show of my life uh enjoyed it enjoyed it quite a bit so that's sorry um, this was rodney atkins is that right that's right. It's Rodney Atkins. It's um, you know, he's a he's a good performer. And there's and if you like songs about tractors, friends, your guy. <laughs> well, I'm just on his Spotify. He's got 2.8 million plays, uh, monthly listeners. Sorry, so this guy is clearly ginormous. I love the name of his 2010 album. It's America. That's that's right. <laughs> oh yeah, there's uh, Friends with Tractors is the fifth track. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, no, that's ex- that's wow. exactly it. Um, a, a lot of songs about. You know, growing up on the on the back of the truck, um, oh, you yeah. know, with your best girl. Okay, um, but but so, yeah, but I mean, great that Clint does that, <laughs> and obviously, much love to Clint and to Rodney as well. I have to listen to that track, but uh, yeah, you just hung oh. out, chatted Metallica. Yeah, so um, we were in touch that day. He got, you know, we uh, got the tickets for the show, and then um, you know, we had a little bit of time uh, before the bus rolled out of town, so um, we went to a local. Um, drinking establishment and you know we chatted for i don't know an hour or so and you know only about 10 percent of that was about metallica and you know a lot of it was about you know life and our in our histories and um you know things we're interested in and he's uh as good a guy you know in person as you hear about on the show really uh, engaging guy who uh you know had a real nice time uh, with him yeah yeah he's a legend ethan's a legend it was it was sad actually because i know that they recorded a metal at your podcast episode where they uh, talked about the black album they sort of talked over it uh, like they did with death magnetic and oh, it a- uh, accidentally got deleted uh, by oh, ethan <laughs> and uh, you know as a podcaster myself for a few years i've done it and it's quite easily done you put it in the bin you, you empty it by accident whatever reason it goes and yeah i've lost some shit as well thankfully don't have metallic shit but it's a horrible feeling and you know sadly deprived of that episode but i'm sure they'll uh, they'll be back on it next week so yeah anyway clint got into 
you said, uh, it's 1.30 a.m. here, and I've been drinking vodka in my studio alone all night. So I don't know Sounds if I'll, about right. Uh, yes, I don't know if I'll rise to the eloquence. Probably drinking out of a skull, I imagine. Uh, I don't know if I'll rise to the eloquence of some of your listener feedback, but here are some thoughts as my favourite song on Death Magnetic. It's a good deep cut. Never would have made sense as a single or early album track, but it is, in my opinion, one of the more sophisticated tracks on the whole record, musically and especially lyrically. The way I see it, James took his battle with sobriety, battle of himself really, and brilliantly interposed it with the biblical story of the betrayal of Christ. He took one of his most personal struggles and made it universally applicable on a primal level. These are not disposable, throwaway lyrics. Musically, it's very impressive, takes many, many cavernous twists and turns, a great creepy solo by Kirk, the Judas lives recite this vow, I become your new god now moment is a highlight of the entire record, yet yeah, completely agree. Uh, find a piece of me in all is particularly poignant for me. There is no redemption in this song, no happy ending, it's bleak, it's real, it's a stormy omen of a song, and that's why I love it. I mean, beautifully said by Clint. For sure, and um, you know, when he talks about how bleak it is, I think about the, the ending of the song, how it just sort of ends without a, there's not a lot of resolution there mm-hmm. um and so yeah that just add adds to it and clint uh you know clint's a deep cat and oh, yeah. um he, he uh I, I think he really nailed it um as, as you know his explanation of uh of the song and his uh his view of it yeah and and the closing lyrics i mean he's right it is kind of despair hopelessness into abyss you don't exist cannot resist the judas kiss and, and Clint's reading, again, uh, very erudite, very interesting, and I definitely hadn't considered the lyrics for that paradigm, but can completely see that that way. I actually see on the Metallica.com song page, there's a few videos of the guys uh, talking about the lyrics. I have to watch them afterwards. Should have watched them before, really, but uh, yeah. I could, <laughs> could see them afterwards, fill you guys in. Oh, they do it on Quebec Magnetic as well. They do it live, which I don't think I've really seen the whole of that. So I definitely had to check out that performance. <laughs> Where would you rank it along these? I guess you're not too familiar then with the other instrumentals, maybe apart from Cthulhu. Well, I, I, I have heard. I mean, I have heard everything. Sure. And and honestly, um, I, I would say um, I I love this instrumental because death death magnetic is so burnt in into my DNA mm-hmm. because that was probably the first Metallica album because I did love the previous albums, but it's the it's their first album that I'd been playing for more than a year straight and recognizing I'm still playing this and it's a year later. <laughs> so, um, but it compared to Call of Cthulhu and Orion, I, I do feel that they are better instrumentals, mm-hmm. but I feel like it stands apart on its own uh, because of the recording and mastering. I feel like it's louder and it's, it's the kind of the, um, I don't necessarily want, I, I guess it, to me, it feels a little bit thrashier, um, in the beginning of it, um, compared to the rest of them. It's just epic in a different way, mm-hmm. in a great way. 
Yeah, yeah, certainly has more of an attack out the gate. And, you know, we begin with that burbling, you know, the deep gurgle of the bass, and then the guitar pounces on top and things start to grind forward. Everything's piling on and collapsing into each other. It's quite marauding, uh, you know, and then it can sort of take its foot off the pedal and be like, bam, 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 bam. And then it sort of pulls the scab back to reveal that bass line before we crash into the main riff. Yeah, what do you think about that first minute or so, that intro to Suicide and Redemption? I like how it builds before it, before it, get, it really gets going. Hmm. Um, I, I I really do highly enjoy that and that it does give Robert an opportunity to shine a little bit before this starts, considering the bass players before him. Yeah, it's probably the most you hear of Robert in like any Metallica song, like just in terms of how audible he is. Like, you know, obviously he's always kind of there, but he doesn't have that kill 'em all cliff like placement in the mix where you you know you can always place where where the bass note is. And then we kick into the main riff, and it's funny you mentioned Cthulhu before because there are kind of two, maybe three types of Metallica songs, or t- types of Metallica instrumentals, you say, or in- instrumentals in general. So there's Orion, which is a very complex piece that, you know, manoeuvres and goes heavy and soft and just, just has some beautiful moments in the middle of it. And then you have Cthulhu, which is very similar to Suicide Redemption, where it's effectively built around this giant riff. And To Live Is To Die is very similar as well. And it keeps returning to that and growing it in certain directions. And um, what do you make of the riff? The it's pretty irresistible, right? Yeah, I, I love how groovy it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I really do enjoy the groove of it. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty fantastic. I mean, but it's in the song a lot, though. Um, the ha- I've, I've read a few criticisms yeah. of this song that it's maybe, you know, because the song itself is nine minutes fifty-eight, so it's the longest Metallica instrumental. Uh, to live is to die is ten seconds shorter. Orion and Cthulhu are around eight and a half minutes. Orion's eight twenty-seven. Cthulhu's well, Cthulhu's almost nine, eight fifty-three. Anesthesia, which I will count as an instrumental, is four minutes fifteen. Yes. So this is almost ten minutes. This is almost half a fucking episode of Simpsons. You know what I mean? It's a long time yes. listening to this, and it doesn't necessarily flex its compositional muscles in the way, say, an Orion does. You know what I mean? By the end of the song, you've heard this. You've heard this a hell of a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I would totally agree with that because I I feel in some ways while I I enjoy all the riffs in it, um, I do feel like compared to the others, it is in some ways less dynamic than the others. Sure. And I I don't know. I mean, some I also wonder of, of that about the mastering and, and the mixing of it. But I do feel like in some ways it's less dynamic because it it seems to be louder than the rest. I mean, yeah, it does have that brightness. You know, Death Magnetics, as we discussed before yeah. on the show, was a victim of, of the loudness wars to a certain extent. And to some yeah. people, it can come across as quite brash. The main riff and that sort of stuff doesn't really bother me. I agree. It, 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 it feels louder, but it's not to its detriment. It definitely has a kind of uh, you know, power and a presence. Yes. What I don't like is when we get into the slower sections and Kirk's tone and when he's doing the melody, I don't necessarily mind the melody. It's quite heroic. I just think that there's something quite brittle about the sound and amateurish, and it always sort of puts me off. I think it's mixed kind of badly to my ears. Yeah. Um, whatever I was watching the making of, um, I believe James was actually playing that riff. Yeah, or actually, that actually you're it. right. Yeah, I saw them in the desert talking about that. So, so yeah, let's say James on there then. But still, I just think yeah. the sound of it, it, it doesn't cohere that well. It kind of clashes to me, at least. Yeah. Well, the one thing that also kind of cracks me up about 
uh, in the the making of of it because he's also playing the jangly part in the background that's yeah. quite Red Hot Chili Peppers once it's isolated. Right. Okay. Okay. I'll need to check that out. But I mean, you know, we get this line then, regardless of what it sounds like. Like, what do you think about the the motif? Like, it is quite uplifting, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really kind of is. I, I think, and this is this is kind of a kind of an odd criticism, but um, but with the with the title, it's like I don't really, in a sense, artistically understand where there is, yeah. if the suicide and redemption kind of take place, or there's kind of an obvious moment because I almost wonder if like, you know, it's like the beginning of it is like the building up of of, of the life of this thing, and maybe this is whenever the suicide occurs. Yeah. Um, for the harshness in the beginning, and then uh, that's when the passing happens before it kicks into the rest of the song. Yeah, I can see that. And you know, you mentioned the um, the interviews that James and Rob did, and one of the cool tidbits was Kirk saying, you know, a classic Kirk witticism that I think he felt like it sounded like planets talking to each other, <laughs> which you can totally hear him saying that. And uh, you know, oh yeah, yeah, and and in it, he he talks about how epic the song is and how in learning it he feels like he needs a musical gps mm-hmm. to figure it out yeah yeah <laughs> so they did try and get the planetary communication idea in there but they couldn't and they went for suicide and redemption which i think was a kind of maybe title for death magnetic to begin with just if we you know inevitably have to if we stack this instrument against the previous instrument as we mentioned just i think it's probably the worst title as well like the call of cthulhu is a fucking epic title. I didn't know what Lovecraft was for the first five, six years. I know. I just thought, the, what is Cthulhu? You know what I mean? Anesthesia pulling teeth yeah. is quite a sort of whimsical idea. Orion, again, yeah. very epic, very simple. To live is to die. You, you know, you're aware this is an elegy and that just makes it all the more impactful. Suicide and Redemption. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels a bit like a Black Label Society song. You know what I mean? It's not very classy. Yeah, I I, I can understand that. It, it's, a, it's a nitpick. I mean, it's an instrumental. So the title is kind of aside from the point in some ways. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. The, the song does have a lot of riffs in it as well, a lot of stop-starts, and kind of in Orion and in Call of Cthulhu, we have the parts where the main riff are played, like thinking of Orion, it's like Kirk kind of building that melody over the top here. There is kind of that, where he has that kind of delay going on on the notes, but again, it's just not the garnish that I necessarily need. It doesn't bring anything new out of the riff to me. No, I I, I, I understand that criticism. Mm-hmm. Although one thing I do love about this band is that um, they do they do repeat the riffs, so it's not like everything's one and out. So yeah. so the, it'll sit a while, it'll breathe. Um, so if you like it, it's great. And if you don't like it, please make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, James plays the solo to this song. Is that right as well? I think this is one of his rare outings on the lead. Um, no, that that's ac- actually Kirk, and also uh, in in the making of that, uh, Lars has a comment about how this is one of Kirk's greatest solos. Yes, which I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but I, I get it. It is good. Yeah, I, it, I really do enjoy it. Yeah, I think James does have a lead part towards the end, but but yeah, Kirk definitely has a ripping part. And I can't remember who pointed out to me. It was maybe on the Metallica forum, but the solo he plays in this song is the exact same solo as a Hardwired song, like note for note, like the the beginning and the end, which is really weird. And I don't quite know how they got away with that but they completely regurgitate. Someone will have to comment down below and let me know exactly what it is. But yeah, the song just, you know, it has riffs, it, it pushes forward, but there's nothing too fleshed out or that memorable. Like beyond the 
kind of second or third minute, you kind of heard everything that this 10 minute song has to offer, I guess. Yeah, it, you, it is. It is a lot of front loaded with here's everything that, that that's going to happen in, in a sense with it. But I also do enjoy later with uh, I really enjoy the chugging of the, the riff after after the solo for a while. Mm-hmm. That's actually for whatever reason, I've always enjoyed the chug of their riffs. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I enjoy that part after the solo. And then whenever you get to um, Lars's drum solo afterwards, because there's very few of those from from what I've heard that or that was the first time i noticed him doing that i i I thought that was great Mm -hmm. so so that was that was kind of a fun surprise surprise to me about it yeah i mean just just because of those points that it's just a little too familiar i suppose one thing funny that i did notice in watching a live performance of this because it is so long that um there's uh the the first performance in copenhagen of it mm-hmm. like lars doesn't even play the solo at the end i'm sure that was just a cut time for it yeah um yeah. in it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i watched that it's performance so so epically long <laughs> yeah, yeah it, 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 it's just very indulgently long like i love it i love that they're doing these 10 minute instrumentals you know on their phenomenal records yeah. but but yeah it's just there should have been a little bit of tinkering for me personally. I think the elements are there, but it's just not got those, those raw minerals that maybe an Orion or Call of Cthulhu has that just make it so indelible. But um, you mentioned that yeah, performance. But, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, but whenever I listen to Beyond Magnetic, I also can't think of, okay, if I took one of those four songs and replaced it, I'm not really sure that I would do that. And oh, I kind of get how... It is. It is a bit of a break between Judas Kiss and My Apocalypse. Yeah, 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 so. yeah certainly. And and yeah, completely agree. I don't really like Beyond Magnetic, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think any of the songs really have much value. And yeah, it would be a crime to take anything off uh, normal Magnetic and, and put Beyond Magnetic on there. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, they've only played this song. You mentioned them playing it live. They've only played it live twice. So yeah, they debuted it. Uh, July 27th, 2009, which crazily is just past the 10-year mark. Now they're recording this on July 30th, 2019. That was in Copenhagen, Denmark. And then they brought it out as well for the um, 30th anniversary shows at the Fillmore. That was December 9th, 2011. And, um, you know, the performance was really good, actually. But it... I don't know about yourself, Cole, but to me, watching the video, it made me realise, bloody hell, like, Metallica's audio-visual team have really pulled their finger out, because back then, it was grainy as hell, there was, like, one angle. Now, it's, like, the next day, after anywhere they've played in the world, it's, like, 10 HD cameras, widescreen on yeah. YouTube, like, you know, they, they, quantum leap. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the, the I mean, all the videos they do now are, are, are amazing. I mean, because I almost wonder... Um, it's almost like, what's the point of downloading, a in any, or one of the concerts anymore, or buying one of the concerts, because I can just make a playlist on YouTube yeah. of whatever concert I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Outside of getting more sane anger tracks in. Yeah. You know, you're so right. And it's great that they would do this back <laughs> in the day. And, um, you know, yeah. we could, we covered sweet anger, re- sweet, sweet anger, <laughs> sweet Amber recently, which, uh, yeah. it'll be out soon. And they, they had a similar video to that, like a behind the scenes sort of video. And, you know, back then it was like for the, for the Met club and the people who sign up and, you know, these exclusive things. But now with YouTube, they're just smart enough to know that they can rack up a couple of million views on a Wolf of Man and probably make a couple of thousand dollars off it. And, and why not? Absolutely. People love it as well. And it brings new people in and people love watching the songs they saw live recreated in that way. You know, not many bands are doing that. So yeah, to me, ultimately this song, Suicide Redemption shares a lot of DNA with To Live Is To Die and with Call of Cthulhu in the fact that it's being pulled back to the money riff. I just think the money riff isn't quite as pricey or intoxicating as those other two songs. You know, it gets a little... 
you know, repetitious, and there are these long crawling sections where not much is happening. You know, there's other riffs, um, dun, 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 dun. like they play with silence really well, and there's a groove there. But um, yeah. I'm kind of drumming my fingers a little bit towards the eight, nine minute mark, Carl. I've got to be honest. I'm sort of waiting for uh, my apocalypse to kick in. Yeah, I, I was about to say that the, the outro could cut off a, a little bit sooner, uh, among some other things. But yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it. it, it because because of the 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 indulgence of the length of it, it it it, it really is long. It really so depending on yeah so depending on what mood you're in, sometimes it flies by, and sometimes it's like, all right, I'm looking at my watch. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 definitely, definitely. It's like sometimes I'm thinking about suicide. Sometimes I'm hoping like some redemption will come in in the form of my apocalypse as it comes in. Absolutely, know, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, and guys, as we always do, we reach out to you for feedback on the tracks. And I've actually got an email, which I rarely have, um, in terms of feedback for the song. So yeah, if you guys want to give me some feedback, some longer form correspondence via email on any of the tracks, metallicapod.gmail.com. Um, at the time of this recording this, we have Sweet Amber, as I mentioned before, coming out soon. That was just your life, the thing that should not be, or the form within. So if you've got any thoughts on any of those songs, and uh, maybe any big batch stories with them, whatever, that being Sweet Amber, That Was Just Your Life, The Thing That Should Not Be, and Form Within, metallicapod at gmail.com. Eric Frazier got in touch. He said, hi, Tom. I've long appreciated your podcast, but not written in. Suicide and Redemption is my favourite Metallica song. I know that's rare, and the rest of my top ten favourites are the more conventional sort, but for whatever reason, I love this song. I've always enjoyed the instrumentals and appreciate when they brought the formula back on Death Magnetic. The solos are the best part for me. The dueling James Kirk solos are terrific, as is the post-solo bridge, which reminds me of the post-solo bridge in Master of Puppets. I just wanted to give some listener feedback, as I know this song is often not looked upon favourably. Thanks for the podcast. Thank you very much, Eric. And we'll just hop to Twitter now, at MetallicaPod. Tommy's saying, tons of really enjoyable, albeit noodly riffs. It could be a bit shorter, but I really enjoy it nonetheless. Guitar Hero had two versions of this one, which had extended solos from James and Kurt, respectively. Um, Under the Sun saying, this band deserves a kick in a dick for making this song. Which is... <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Ralph actually replied to that saying ouch those hurt and Ralph saying a good instrumental track by the boys here but not great probably my least favourite of all their instrumentals I really love the soft melodic part towards the middle there's some excellent guitar work on the song by Hammond and Hetfield however this song meanders around some and is a bit too repetitive and long Michael Hampton says one of their worst songs why bother going past two minutes after you've heard this once a giant bag of lame riffs you might hear on a Creed cover band's demo tape <laughs> the huge sore thumb on an otherwise stellar album and you know this was hot and cold a lot of people liked it our badges saying good song good song Matt saying it's awesome has Alison James type riffs Ken saying I love James's solo Bill saying I really like it probably one of my favourites of the album Creeping Death saying I think it's incredible yet underrated like their other instrumentals it tells a story the riffs are incredible I love the way the song progresses also James's solo in this song is one of my favourite Metallica solos and finally Fixer saying actually quite like this instrumental great riffs and one of James's best solos ever and that lead part in the middle is just gorgeous um, Carl any any final thoughts on Suicide and Redemption? Um, I, I feel like not everybody really got into Death Magnetic because they were so burnt from St. Anger so I mean for me it, it was a fun new finding mm-hmm. um, and so I so for me this has always felt like my instrumental since it's when sure. I got into the band or really started to, because it's almost like whenever I got into it, it's like every next album was, I felt like I better understood the band. And now after finally being through all their material, uh, understand how great they are and understand why they did this, trying to, after St. Anger and trying to do things that they had done before to really kind of reestablish themselves.
another episode which was Escape, right? We covered Escape. Yep. Yeah, that was Escape. Was a hell of a long time ago now. When we mentioned that episode, you have your own YouTube channel where you do a lot of covers yep. and gear reviews and, you know, it's still going. You clearly are a pretty sensational player. Um, <laughs> can you play My Apocalypse? It's a pretty difficult song, no? Yeah, actually, uh, I think I know it, yeah. I couldn't play it right now. I think I probably need to practice again. But, uh, yeah, there are a couple of riffs in there that I really, really enjoy and I, I know by heart, especially the middle one, but I'm sure we'll talk about this. But Yeah. Yeah. The middle one from uh, from Hamet is mm-hmm. tasty, very have, tasty. Have you seen the um, the Guitar Center video where he's talking about playing that live and how he doesn't want to fuck it up? Ah, not really, no. no. I don't so, remember I mean, this one. That's a, that's a riff that I hope I get every night because when we play that song, at the, when that riff kicks in, I'm the only one playing it. So I have to, like, everyone's watching me. It has to sound right. It has to be on, on right tempo. And, uh, you know, if I don't practice that riff, I, I'm, I'm liable to mess it up. There's the famous video of Hetfield uh, playing the riffs and talking about being in the glue factory. And we did a Lars one and a Kirk one. When I was on Metal Your Podcast with Clinton and Ethan, we covered them all, uh, mostly okay. paying attention to the James one. But I think we mentioned Kirk's thing. But, yeah, Kirk talks about the na 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 you know, that riff. And exactly. um, just just how how difficult it is, and and yeah. So this is my apocalypse. And just before we get into the track, then Death Magnetic, where do you rank it out of interest? If you were to rank all the Metallica albums, is it breaking the top five? Is it is it down at the bottom? Or I think it's somewhere um, somewhere along the the Black Album and probably Justice. So it's pretty high in my in my in my books. I would say I, I really like this uh, this album. To be honest. Uh, there was some stuff that was, that was a bit disappointing when the when the record came out, but uh, overall, I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And this is a kind of standout track for a number of reasons. I mean, namely because it's just a shade over five minutes. It's five minutes and one second long. It's essentially 90 seconds shorter than the next longest song, which is Broken, yep. Beat and Scarred. Um, a lot of people complain about Death Magnetic songs maybe being a little too indulgent in points, riffs overstay their welcome. Is this a fair criticism? Uh, absolutely. Honestly, I, I really love this album, but I think it could benefit from some cuts here and there. And I think My Apocalypse is the only one that uh, it's, it's okay. I mean, the five minutes mark is absolutely fine. On the other song, I think there is a bit, uh, a bit too much. And we start with the song going you know, straight into the mouth of hell, really, yeah. with that chug. The riff is just there. I love how when it starts with the boom, you can hear two guitars, and then it's James sort of continuing the theme yeah. as ever, and, and Kirk with the stabs into that real, real kind of gnawing dissonance. Na 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 na. You know something that James loves to do on yeah. Justice and stuff like that. That that pull down, and then as the riff continues, we get the war drums entering. You know, beating that that snare crash it really feels like we're heading off to combat i mean what what would you make of this first 30 seconds or so well i really like the the energy that is uh, really blasting uh, uh, from the beginning i mean it's very different than the other tracks where you know there is an intro it's kind of sure. long to 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 put in place but this one is starting right immediately and uh, it's amazing I, I think that's um when the first time i listened to this album so you know 
I don't listen really uh, to the whole album, so I skip a bit through the song just to get a, a glimpse of the album. And I think the first time I, I did this with this album, I, I just stuck on my apocalypse. This one, I let, I let it run yeah. from beginning to the end because the energy takes you really, the riffs, the, the, even in the, in the vocals, the energy mm-hmm. is amazing. It's really contagious, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely is. And I remember, it's funny you mention that because I remember listening to Death Magnetic, kind of, I listened to leaks and stuff before it came out properly. I remember downloading a few songs, including My yep. Apocalypse, off LimeWire. And yep. this was one of the only ones that really sort of got me going initially. And this has always been a track yep. that I have adored. And you know, Lars kind of hammering like a madman as we get into the song. And, you know, James straight in there claustrophobic crawl out of this skin i mean the the imagery is sensational yeah yeah the the other thing that i really like about the the lyrics is that to me it's really the the title track of the album actually so this is the only song where there is the the actual death magnetic uh, lyrics in there i think it's on the second verse or something Mm -hmm. and i don't know why but this death magnetic every time it's uh it's uh it's sing uh I, i get goosebumps honestly yeah yeah, I know what you mean. The, t- the titular track, if you will. Yeah, it's like, absolutely. aha, like, there it is. Like, you know, exactly. we don't get a Death Magnetic song, but, but yeah, and, and Death Magnetic as a title is just so brilliant. It Amazing. just aged fantastically as it's gone on, like, you know, um, yeah. there's so many connotations to it. And, of course, the uh, the filing coffin front cover yeah. as well is sensational. One of the things that I really love about this track is that, you know, James is so on point with the melodies and the interactions with the riffs. So the feared by name extermination, how that goes really low and really chuggy. And then the cross the line, you know, so we cross that line. Like it really feels like he's unearthing something on those chords. You know what I mean? The way his vocals are interacting with the way that he's playing. I just think the synergy is tantalizing. Yeah, the the writing is amazing Mm. in this song. It's, uh, I don't know what comes first on, on this case, if it's, Really, he's writing, he's writing the, the riffs first and then he's coming with the vocals melody or, or, or the other way around. But the two of them blended together, it's really working so well. Mm-hmm. And this part actually reminds me a bit of something that Slayer could have could have written because right. you know, there's a bit of dissonance. Yes, the, yes. The, the, the speed also is there. So definitely when I was listening to, to those first uh, verse and first chorus, I was like, wow, this is almost like Slayer, those stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much dissonance all over this track. And the total eclipse, suffer unto my apocalypse. Like, if you if you look at the fretboard, what's going on, there's lots of cool stuff happening. Like, in the fear yep. by name, extermination is quite basic. And the cross yep. the line is him just hanging on that chord. But as it gets quicker, as it's pushing forward to suffer unto my apocalypse, there's, like, some sort of hammer-on sections. Like, yeah. you know, you're not staying too long in one place there, which, which I really, really like. And it, it is just a breathless song. And you mentioned before whether um, they write the riffs first or the melody first. I actually watched on YouTube, they have a compilation of all the making of Death Magnetic videos. And then if you've seen those when they're in the studio and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I just figured just beforehand, I just watched it just now. And um, it's really, really fucking good video, actually. Obviously, it's the final one. It was called Ten. Ten was its name. Because oh, yeah. I think it was the last song that was going to be thrown onto the album. And it starts with them, all four of them sitting around just listening to riff tapes. And they hit upon the middle bridge riff. And it's cool to see James just working on it, the, the cogs turning in his head, just picking out where certain things could go. And Lars says to him, like, is there a song in here? And he's like, oh yeah. He's like, there's a, there's a, he's like, there's a B riff from this, and like, da da da. We can go here and go there. And I think he's singing like, 
he's not singing my apocalypse he's singing like our suicide or something like that it's kind of slightly difficult yep. to hear what he said and then uh, there's a really good scene with kirk as well and they focus on the um you know the intro of the guitar solo that sounds one of Je- james oh, yeah. like revved up motors like that's it's goofy but it really works like it's fuel-esque yeah. you know i, I like that part I really couldn't understand. The first time I I heard the solo, I couldn't really understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. And and I saw this video, actually, the, the part with the solo, I saw it, and I was like, okay, so that's some tricks going on. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's really it's really nice, this one, like uh, almost like an engine running or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. And they, what's, what's cool is you basically see Greg and Kirk doing it at the mixing board. But yeah. you can hear James and Lars, like, cracking up. Like, they find it so funny. <laughs> Make us do a stop on this next take. We gotta get that. <laughs> Spit it out! And Kirk's a little bemused. Kirk isn't that bother. Kirk says it sounds like a car going off a bridge or something <laughs> like that. Let's talk about the solo. I critique Kirk mercilessly, but I think this is a fantastic solo. I think he does great work. Well, I think overall on this magnetic, he, he did an amazing job, mm-hmm. especially uh, coming out of uh, two, three albums without solo or with without like really strong and technical solos. Uh, on this album, it was really a comeback for him. And uh, My Apocalypse, but even the other one, to be honest, the, the, the solos are great. Even the one he did on uh, on the Beyond Magnetic, the leftover, let's say, from, mm-hmm. from Death Magnetic, I was amazed that those were only leftover because the, the songs were good, the solos were amazing, and, and still didn't end, end up on the album. But solo-wise, yeah, Kirk did an excellent job on this uh, on this album. Much better, in my opinion, than what he did on uh, Hardwired, to be honest. Oh, my. I mean, Hardwired is just the epitome of lazy rock star and Hardwired. <laughs> yeah. I don't, like, like I, I like the Moth solo because it yeah. just kind of runs on energy and gas. And I think if you think about the Moth solo too much, it falls apart. Logically, it doesn't have that integrity to me, melodically. Yeah. But, yeah, so many of the solos. We just recently mentioned the Murder One solo uh, yeah. with Jack. And that is that is laughable. It's almost like it's almost like a parody solo of Kirk. Um, I, yeah, you know? to me it feels like. Uh, I mean, he, he went into the studio for a couple of weeks and write some solos on the on the fly, and that's it. Yeah. To me, on this magnetic, it really sounds like. I mean, there was some really inventive stuff. Uh-huh. It's, it's tough to be creative when you've done ten records and uh, hundreds of solo, but uh, I think really there was some interesting creativity on this magnetic on the solo, mm-hmm. the solo at least. And before we get to the solo sections, we build up to that with a split apart, you know, spit it out, maybe spit out the bone, sort of being yeah. teased there, maybe subconsciously. We have it's that just... bridge riff, that which is, it's just marvellous, isn't it? I, yeah. just, I, I just love the, the visceral energy it connotes. Yeah, hands down my, uh, my favourite riff of this, uh, of this album. Of the Definitely. album? Okay, that, yeah, I'd, have yeah. to, I'd have to think about what my favourite riff of Death Man is. But yeah, it's uh, absolutely up there. I, I, I actually really like Day That Never Comes. Oh yeah, just got how yeah. I just I like I like the note choice there. I like the cyanide chorus riff as well. 
Um, I like the breakdown riff in End of the Line. They kind of blur into one, so I'm kind of thinking, is this the End of the Line riff? There is there so long? many, so many riffs on yeah. this album. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's tough to, to choose just one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I really like, uh, you know, after the riff as well. Kind of reminds me a little bit of... Um, that was just your life, you know, when James is really, what makes me drift a little bit yep. closer, the man takes a steering, like, you know, pushing that, pushing that, pushing that, going forward, going forward. But the the, the ultimate thing for me is the uh, the demon awaken my apocalypse and the way the guitars are, yep. and the way they, you know, they put that into an actual riff, the vocal melody before yep. kicking into the third verse. Uh, the band are really firing on all cylinders here. I think I think yeah. they knocked it out of the park. I, I'm surprised this song isn't talked about more, to be honest with you. I think this is one of their best songs of the last 20-odd years. I'm a bit surprised that they, they don't play it live, actually, because to me it's uh, it could work as a great opener yeah. or a great for the encore or a great uh, closing track even. And it's it's a pity that it's not appearing um, so much in the set list. No. Because, so, yeah, it's yeah. the energy, it's, it's mm. amazing. But, you know, it's tough to choose because, okay... Uh, how to compete with uh, Fight Fire with Fire Damage yeah, oh stuff like this yeah. it's really tough to, to chill on the set list yeah, but definitely I agree with uh, what you say in the beginning that it's the album is underrated but this song especially is underrated yeah um, 37 times it's been performed live weirdly enough it was performed in my hometown live for the first time uh, oh, March right. 25th 2009 uh, Birmingham England and it was last performed December 7th 2011 in San Francisco so yeah it didn't get many airings at all it was pretty much on the yep. World Magnetic Tour yeah yeah I was uh, I was lucky to see it uh, a couple of times I think I saw them uh, on the on the World Magnetic Tour I think it was in Copenhagen, something like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, as soon as it came, this one, I was crazy. I was really crazy. I think that's the one that I was waiting for the the, the whole time. So that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many fantastic riffs getting thrown yep. down here. So consistent and, and just flies by, really. And I just yep. have adored this song forever. And again, for me, it's when... James and the riff are in each other's pockets and they just on command and and James also sounds absolutely terrific here the images that he's throwing out as well there's nothing really cliched you know inhale the fire um you know pulling closer still from the death making mangle flesh snapping spine dripping bloody valentine as well uh tossing body mannequin it's um you know just just really is a cattle call of yeah. um, you know you know terrific modes that he's entering here and the solos well just go back to the solo you know it takes its time there's not too much wah here it's kind of the kirk of old yore for me lots of fun sections it kind of has the patented kirk chromatic crawl up the fretboard when he doesn't quite know where to take it and then yep. it ends with like a weird kind of sounds a bit like an ambulance like a nina nina like it kind of ends in a bit of a squib doesn't it yeah but that's exactly what i was talking about about Mm. creativity and really being a bit inventive with uh, stuff Uh, okay it's not uh it's not revolutionary but uh it's interesting it's different and it's not the standard uh rock leaks like you were mentioning uh, Mm -hmm. on hardware so yeah i like this it's uh it's stuff like this that makes her Overall, a solo really stand out. I mean, you have a strong opening, a weird closing, uh, some interesting leaks in the middle, and that's that's amazing. That's all what all we need. And uh, Rob was interviewed about this, and this isn't the most interesting quote, but he said, "quote My apocalypse was a cool song. It was fast. It had the fresh element of the past." Yep. Um, apparently, in the 2009 Grammy Awards, uh, they won Best Metal Performance 
for My Apocalypse, which is pretty cool. Ooh. My Apocalypse was actually a single as well. I think it was like their 41st single or something, and it was released um, you know, worldwide, obviously. Now, here's something I haven't heard, and I don't know if you've heard this yourself, just seeing this on the Wikipedia page. More recently, it says, a new introduction to the song was added. Lars Ulrich said, quote, We've been enjoying playing My Apocalypse out here on the road, but felt like it could use something extra. We decided that it needed a cool intro to set the mood, so James wrote one. Are you familiar with this intro? Uh, not not really. Maybe no. I heard it. I'm not sure. I know yeah. they they changed some intro on the on the Hardwire tour for I think Halo on Fire something like right, this. Right. They made a specific intro, but for this one, maybe I have to look it up. Yeah, yeah. If someone can you know comment below or or tweet me or whatever and let me know because yeah, I I watched a few live performances and couldn't really see it there. Um, it's um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's. I don't, you don't think it really needs one to be honest with you. Maybe it just needs no. to warm up into. It. I think kind of one of the beauty of the song is it just begins and we're just yeah. you know into the jaws of it. So as we always do, at Metallica Pond, um, great to get your feedback, guys. So Mark says so many riffs and hooks. Add the trash can ending. It's almost a parody of their past thrashers. Also, I love it. Have a bloody podcast, Rai saying, listen to the, re-listen to Death Magnetic, and I stand by my initial reaction, the whole album feels forced. Not to be negative, I know a lot of people love it, but it falls in the same recent Rubin vein of trying to recapture as opposed to move forward. See yep. Black Sabbath's 13, Hardwired proved they had much more. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's true that uh, definitely you can you can see that uh, they are applying the recipe of the, of mm-hmm. the early album, so okay, there, there is the, the opening and and strong opening and closing track. There is the heavy ballad, like Fade to Black. There is the instrumental, etc. So yes, in this way, yes, it's a, it's a bit forced. But still, still, just the rave. The, it's good to see them back, actually, with something that you're kind of familiar with. And still, it's something new. So I didn't mind that they were playing this recipe. I didn't feel that it was forced. I feel that it was a bit... Uh, Okay, we stick to a recipe, so it's not completely new, but it's not forced. You can see that, uh, especially with my apocalypse. Actually, if it was forced, you wouldn't come back to the song and listen to it again and again, yeah. uh, years after years. So, so no, I, I think it was a good uh, way for them to come back. Uh, plus, they did a bit the same on Hardwire. To be honest, Hardwire is also following a bit the same recipe and it's working as well. Maybe it's it's less forced because they are injecting some elements uh, that are more reminiscent of Load and Reload. It's a bit more of a mix of everything, mm-hmm. but uh, still, it's a very similar uh, recipe at the end of the day. Ralph saying, one hell of an old-school fresh album closer from the boys. This song rips your face off right from the start. Hetfield and Co. take a very Slayer-centric turn, which is what you were saying, here on this song, both musically and lyrically. Kirk yeah. just absolutely shreds on this track, as he does all over the album. I completely agree, Ralph. And finally, Master of Pun saying, one of Hammett's best-ever riffs in the middle section. The snare yeah. kind of sounds like the ghost of Say Anger. Overall, kick-ass end song. And, I, I mean, I love it as an ending to the record as well. I, I couldn't think of anything more fitting really yeah no it's great great way to end just like they did you know with dire's eve yeah uh, damage it's, it's really cool to end an album of this on this it's really 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 strong really strong and any um any closing thoughts on the track on the track itself really I, i'm a big fan of the track the only thing that i that i kind of didn't really enjoy about the album overall was the was the production i was oh, yeah. very disappointed with the production i'm sure you already mentioned mm-hmm. this on the on the podcast so I was a bit, uh, a bit, uh, yeah, disappointed with the production. I think we were lucky to have access a few weeks or months after uh, to the um, Guitar Hero sure. mixes. I, I really, really enjoyed those one. I think 
I, I don't know actually. I don't have the CD with me, but uh, I think that's the only version that I'm still listening. Uh, no other. I'm never listening to the original uh, uh, mix or master, let's say, of the album. Mm-hmm. That's my, really my only complaint with this album. Slightly too long songs and really bad production. <laughs> 